It's Tuesday, December 6th, 2022, and this is the People's Podcast. This is Steak for Breakfast. Smokey, this is not Nam. This is bowling. There are rules. Today, Junior, America! Steak for breakfast! So stand by! This episode of the podcast is brought to you, as always, by Man Rubs. Rubs, barbecue tools, blow torches, t-shirts, coffee cups, and all-around barbecue-related gear for you to make barbecue great again can be found at manrubs.com and on Instagram, manrubs. Use the code STEAK15 for 15% off. Also brought to you by Stay Ready Gear. They're at stayreadygear.com and on Instagram, stayreadygearusa. Holsters, custom kydex, mag carriers, tourniquet carriers, on- and off-duty gear, hot-melted plastic made just for you. Need something custom? They got you covered. Use the code STEAK for 5% off. Don't get ready. Stay ready. The Pillow King of Minnesota and the apparatus known as the MyPillow family dishing out big savings for this holiday season. When you think MyPillow, you want to give the gift of comfort, rest, and relaxation with pillow slippers and Giza Dream Everything from MyPillow. And a promo code STEAK at checkout there. You're going to receive those big savings. If you're more of a morning person, they've launched My Coffee. Get a promo code stake there. You're going to get 25% off your total order, 50% off if you subscribe monthly. MyPillow.com forward slash stake for anything comfort related. MyStore.com forward slash stake for anything coffee related. Or you can always talk to a qualified pillow representative, 1-800-658-8045. The top tier of ear gear and the world's most technologically advanced in-studio recording equipment specializing in headphones can only be found at Odyssey. Whether you're gaming... Potting. Hope that this December won't be as long as the last. Get those ear needs taken care of and done upright. Odyssey.com is the website. You can find them on Facebook and Instagram as well. Our good friend Alan has launched the Patriot Cigar Company, hand-rolled and plucked from the fields of Nicaragua, right next to where Mike Lindell picks his coffee beans. Age three years. In a promo code stake here, you're going to get 15% off your total order. All orders over $100. Receives free shipping, and you get a $10 e-gift card with each purchase mypatriotcigars.com a premium smoke for freedom loving patriots Mike down at West Coast Survival Arms been servicing Southern California for over a decade he's a licensed FFL if you're into the tradesies and don't live in Canada he's also got a 5 star rating his newly redesigned easy to use website is westcoastsurvivalarms.com he's on Facebook Messenger NV the telephone 619-870-6992 steak for breakfast backs to blue we love our first responders and they're always working hard while they're off duty they're probably wearing gear from Mediocre Medic Sweatshirts, t-shirts, flip-flops, fanny packs, and more. Stickers and patches for while they're on the job. Plus, they've got a pretty fire IG. MediocreMedic.com is the website there. And last but certainly not least, the gold standard of tactical flair and home of the Zero Flex Duck. Don't know? Go ask Mark Joe Friday. Dumpbox.us is the website. Find them on Instagram. Find them on Facebook. Friends, don't forget to follow the show on Instagram at Steak for Podcast Breakfast or on the website at SteakForBreakfastPodcast.com. There you'll find a link tree that'll take you to all our social medias, the website, our newest Substack, Telegram channel, and more. 
On that note, to everyone joining us today on the Patriot Podcast Network via the Roku app, from the Republican High Command, Instagram, Discord, and now via our verified accounts on Twitter, Getter, and Truth Social. Welcome, Tuesday edition, Steak for Breakfast podcast, episode 193. I'm Roan. Noah's here. Yo. Antoinette's loading up. Guys, we've got a great show, lots of news, three big guests, and that Steak for Breakfast narrative to get your week kicked off right. The mayor of Moscow's wife gave your son three and a half million dollars. What did he true. do to deserve it? That what did he do with Barista none to of deserve $183,000? None of that is true. Not an answer. If not, none of that is true. Oh, really? Totally he didn't get three and a half Mr. President, it's totally, Mr. President, please. Totally discredited. Totally discredited. And by the way. Well, wait, he didn't get three and a half million dollars, Joe? Mr. Vice President. He got three and a half million dollars. It is not true. Oh, really? Mr. President, it's an open discussion, please. It's a fact. Well, you have raised an issue. Let the Vice President answer. Discredited. Did Barista pay him $183,000 a month with no experience in energy? Mr. Look, President, no my son did nothing wrong at Barista. I think he did. Mr. President, let him answer. Welcome to the show. Remember that? Remember when old Wallace was interjecting himself completely? Yeah, if you're listening for the first time today, welcome. And uh, don't forget, if you're obviously listening, you want to share all of our content across social medias and subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. Um, So it was a busy weekend, to say the least. Had a bunch of stuff coming out. I think uh, most notably was... Cutting through the red tape that was Elon Musk's and Matt Taibbi's Twitter disclosure regarding the repression of the Hunter Biden laptop narrative uh, back during the 2020 presidential election campaign cycle. Let's keep in mind, we're going to live in reality. I have had the opportunity to uh, talk to several, I guess you would consider them high power attorney. They They've worked in the federal judiciary they've served in white house legal they've prosecuted wall street bankers international terrorists etc and uh have served the justice department in some of the nastiest places imaginable on the planet and you know we have to keep this in the context of reality even though we're going to unpack this a little bit for you and connect some of the dots which the physical receipts that elon musk provided gave us um some things that will never happen are a redo of the 2020 presidential election. There is no legal or constitutional way for that to happen. You also have to keep in mind, you would literally have to go back in time because how many voters' minds and opinions might have changed uh, between now and then. It just wouldn't give a real take on it. And Donald Trump, at the current portion of time we're in, cannot be inserted into back into the presidency. Although we are coming to learn and and feel a lot more comfortable with saying that the 2020 presidential election was rigged and stolen and every chip on the table was stacked up against him in doing so. Uh, This is just a little bit more reaffirmation of stuff that's come out since the Time Magazine article from February of 2021, which kind of outlined the massive coordination. This disclosure by Elon Musk highlights the mainstream media portion of it because there was a lot of different facets working at the same time and it just looked like now we can confirm that not only 
the FBI, the DOJ, the Department of Homeland Security, the DNI, leakers inside of the Trump White House, members of Congress on both sides of the aisle, big tech, and the mainstream media all collaborated to... You forgot the blue-haired meanies. Those two, how dare you, <laughs> quash the October surprise, which was the contents of the Hunter Biden laptop, not Skittles' penis, mm. but the business dealings and, and things regarding the Biden crime family, which is the context that Donald Trump's looking at this from. It's what, in that first audio clip we played, um, you know, highlighted. And... Joe Biden knew, his entire team knew, there were people on his team working directly with Twitter, members of Congress and all of those, you know, entities that I had mentioned that work for the federal government as components of them, all coordinated. And it's just a, you know, absolute shame for Donald Trump that that's the way it went down. Um, It's okay to be emotional about it. You know, we we like to talk about things in the same context as we do after the fallout from the 2022 midterm elections. We know there's some candidates that got absolutely jobbed. We know there's some candidates who probably had the closest of races stolen from them in some contexts, whether it be we didn't harness ballot harvesting and and mail-in voting and early voting early enough all the way down to social media repression and how Republican political consultants used or misused funds to not win those races. Um, But to say the elections need to be done over or candidates that we felt should have won can't just be inserted into those positions emotionally. Mm. And that's kind of like the narrative we like to give you on the show. There are a lot of other places you can hear that. And, uh, they are, it is kind of brilliant how just blatantly like the lies are just 100% cut and dried now. Like I could make up a lie that I think that the Democrats do, and it will probably be proven in the next 12 calendar months. Right. And yeah, so here's Joe Biden, same presidential debate, doubling down on what he already knew to be true in lying to the American public. The former national intelligence folks who said that what this he's accusing me of is a Russian plant. They have said that this is has all the care four, five former heads of the CIA, both parties say what he's saying is a bunch of garbage. This is classic Trump. We have four days left, and all of a sudden, there's a laptop. There's overwhelming evidence that, from the intelligence community, that the Russians are engaged. I still think that the stories from the fall about your son Hunter were Russian disinformation at a smear campaign, like you said. Yes, yes, yes. I know you'd ask it. I have no response. It's another smear campaign. It's the last-ditch effort in this desperate campaign to smear me and my family. The vast majority of the intelligence people have come out and said there's no basis at all. Mm-hmm. No basis. Now, if there's one thing in reality that I would like to see happen and that Congress can help with moving forward, especially after the third of the year, is stripping those 51 former intelligence officers, especially the five former heads of the CIA with their security clearances and, and just allowing them to not operate in this fashion anymore, because more than likely I would say all 51 of them knew this was true. Yeah. And for anyone that's listening who doesn't think Donald Trump is the clear cut leader of the Republican party, the America first movement, and will eventually be the nominee for the 2024 presidential election. 
has to have their head examined. Yeah. Regardless of candidate quality of anyone else that gets in the race. And here's why. Not only did he get 12 million plus more votes in his reelection bid against Joe Biden, which is the largest Republican vote tally in the history of presidential elections, which completely destroys the narrative that the 2020 presidential election was a referendum on Donald Trump. Because how do you get 12 million more people to vote for you if you're doing such a bad job? The level of coordination of any of these agencies and individuals all the way up to Joe Biden to stop him from remaining in the White House was something that makes Watergate look like a false reality. Mm. Stuff that Richard Nixon had to go through looked like a walk in the park, etc. We see the stuff that's happened since. Donald Trump's been out of the White House. Major frivolous lawsuit after frivolous lawsuit. 90 days before the midterm elections, his home was raided. Um, obviously, you have the whole Letitia James narrative. Listen, the Trump curse is coming back to bite her in the ass now. It looks like she covered up a sexual misconduct scandal within her own office and knew about it, so she probably won't be uh, enjoying the fruits of her reelection mm. in New York for much longer. People are calling for her to step down. And um, how these people who were involved and everything stemming all the way back to Russiagate are still involved. You know, James Baker, former general counsel for Jim Comey during the Russiagate investigation, who was fired by Congress for lying to them about the investigation, took a few months off. Yeah, how does that? And jumped on to be the number one lawyer over at Twitter. How, how do you keep a job with that, that reputation? Behind Vagina God. Oh, Vagina God. And, uh, you know, oh. exactly. That's the noise that narrates almost this entire narrative. So instead of me unpacking it for you, you could probably just repeatedly hit the garrison button for the entirety of our cold open, and it would be the same level of bullshit that you can't believe. And although a lot of people, especially Trump adjacents, had been going around talking about this narrative, the players involved, and how deep it went for years, we actually saw the physical receipts uh, from Elon Musk. Donald Trump would continue to get hammered on this narrative. Uh, I think we could all remember the 60 Minutes interview where they, they shut it down halfway through. Let's hear it. This, I think it's one of the biggest scandals I've ever seen, and you don't cover it. Biggest you want to talk about... Well, because it can't be verified. You want to talk I'm about insignificant you. things. I'm telling you. Of course it can be verified. Excuse we, me. We they found the laptop. Leslie, Leslie. can't be verified. What can't be verified? The laptop. Why do you say that? Because Even the family hasn't... The family on the laptop, he's gone into hiding for five days. He's gone into hiding. He's preparing for your debate. Oh, it's taken him five days to prepare. I doubt it. I doubt it. Okay. All right. I mean, they, they really couldn't. And, and you could hear it in President Trump's voice. It's like he's trying to go back and forth with these people. And he's he, like, honestly, he's just say, what fucking reality do you live in? Mm-hmm. How can you not see that, like, literally this is real? And they just didn't want to hear it. And the fact of the matter was is that this probably did lead to Donald Trump not being reelected as president. Um, and I think a lot of the things that went down with pressure from Congress, all the never-Trumpers, members of the intelligence community, the awful Attorney General Bill Barr and equally awful, if not worse, FBI Director Chris Ray, all referenced back to 2016. 
and the black eye they incurred when James Comey released the Hillary Clinton, you know, bleach bit stuff. Mm-hmm. And it's like, are, are we really going to do this again? Because they're just going to run with the narrative that like the Russians interfered with this election again. And, you know, Donald Trump got to enjoy another presidency because of it, even though he had earned it. Former Twitter executive. Um, Yo-Yo-L Roth. <laughs> Joel. He had a he had a lot to do with this stuff um, while he was working as a Twitter executive uh, in regards to just crushing narratives and, and stuff like that. Um, some of the stuff he talked about was the repression of social media accounts. Painstakingly enough, <laughs> ones like the Babylon Bee and how they were threats to democracy. Let's hear him try to justify the things that was going on at Twitter from his point of view now that he no longer works for him and is writing a book. That's the that's, that's right, the one which is which was not particularly funny. The Babylon Bee's man of the year is Rachel Levine. <laughs> not funny. Oof. Yeah. Um, and, and you can ask I didn't agree her. they should have taken that down, but go ahead. You know, it's interesting. Uh, it's interesting to think about what the competing tensions around that are. And I, I want to start by acknowledging that um, the targeting and the victimization of the trans community on Twitter oh, is God. very real, very life-threatening, and extraordinarily serious. Um, we have seen from a number of Twitter accounts, including libs of TikTok notably, that there are orchestrated campaigns that particularly are singling out a group that is already particularly vulnerable within society. And so, yeah, not only is it not funny, but it is dangerous and it does contribute to an environment that makes people unsafe in the world. So let's start from a premise that it's fucked up. But then again, let, let's look at what Twitter's written policies are. Twitter's written policies prohibit misgendering, full stop. And the Babylon Bee, in the name of satire, misgendered Admiral Rachel Levine. No, they Twitter didn't. Wrote, nominally, but it's still misgendering. Nominally. And, you know, you can, there can be a very long and, and academic discussion of, of satire and sort of the lines there. Interestingly, uh, Apple tried to tease out this question of satire and political commentary in their own guidelines, which I think are, are also fraught. But, you know, we landed on the side of enforcing our rules okay. as written. And that's how it got bought by Elon Musk, just in case you're interested. Um, he was mad about that. I remember that. Seems like a pretty fair and balanced platform, right? Mm-hmm. Prior to Elon Musk buying it. So fair and balanced. Balance me harder, Daddy. It, it just goes to show, I mean, literally look at the argument. Mm-hmm. You're taking one of the largest satire websites and members of social media and banning them from the platform for saying something that is biologically true. Mm-hmm. So we're we're nuking accounts for feelings. Yeah, basically. That's uh that is the world we live in now. Mm-hmm. Very interesting. How you know, I, I really can't wait for this branch of the timeline to be over. Um i I think it's getting close. We might be a, a couple years away, but this will all fade. We just can't live in such a degenerate society like this. You know, my 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 first answer is stop trying to normalize it and spin it into the sexualization of children. But we just can't live like this for much longer. It's, it's spun so far out of control for something that's a fraction of a percent of the entire population of the United States um, that it just doesn't even matter. 
So he would go on to say, spinning things like January 6th and President Trump into it. Let's hear this. Donald one. Trump. That one I don't think was a mistake. January 6th. Hmm. So it, it starts on the 6th, but it also starts prior to that. Okay. That's correct. In the weeks leading up, in the weeks between Election Day and January 6th, Twitter moderated hundreds. I think the, the, the final number ended up was like 140 separate tweets from just at real Donald Trump that violated various policies. Yes, he was including good the at that. Integrity policy. Yeah. Every morning it was a new tweet. Much of it was recirculating some of the same narratives. And all of it was focused on the ultimately false claim that the 2020 election had been stolen. And so ultimately. we're going into the events of the 6th. And there's that context. There's the centrality of his account. In so you let him get away with it for a long time, in other words. Well, we'd been enforcing on it, right? So we restricted the tweets. We put warnings on them. You couldn't like them. You couldn't retweet them. Um, but we didn't ban him because it was a relevant part of a moment in American mm -hmm. politics. Right. The events of the 6th happen. And um, if you talk to content moderators who worked on January 6th, myself included, the word that nearly everybody uses is trauma. Mm -hmm. we, we experienced those events. Thank you. Not some of us as Americans, but not just as Americans or as citizens, but as people working on sort of how to prevent harm on the internet, we saw the clearest possible example of what it looked like for things to move from online to off. We oh, saw. Right. What was we saw the way that rhetoric about a stolen election was being mobilized on sites like the Donald.win. Sure. We yes. saw the trafficking of this content in the fringe parts of the internet, oh, and we oh. saw people dead in the Capitol oh. as a Why consequence. Why not? Exactly. Wait, what? Hey, listen. Before we even get into any of that commentary, I do want to give a big shout out to one of our great friends, Sublime and Slime. They did mm -hmm. get the Donald.win. Oh yeah. Back onto. Uh, into the mainstream media cycle, so congrats to you. He's a frequent listener of Steak for Breakfast, never misses an episode, and always puts up his posts on uh, Instagram showing that he's listening in the car, which we really, really appreciate. He's been a great friend of the show for a long time, but yeah, that's a lot to unpack right there. I mean, the the dead person in the Capitol, is that what the gold medals were for, for the Capitol Police? Oh, yeah, that went down today. And it just shows how much of uh, supporting the insurrection slash impeachment narrative worked well for the Republicans. In case you've missed it, there was a gold medal ceremony. It kind of looked like the end of A New Hope, Star Wars. <laughs> Jesus. When Capitol Police officers who were deemed heroes by Congress were receiving gold medals today from a delegation made up of Nancy Pelosi, Chuck Schumer, China Mitch, and Kevin McCarthy. Did one of them do like a Wookiee yell? They're all Wookiees in my opinion. <laughs> Anyways, um, there, I didn't misgender the Capitol Police officers. Oh, perfect. I like it. Um, so the the officers were getting called up to the stage, hugs for Nancy, get their medals, handshakes for Schumer, and then they would all turn their back and walk away without even acknowledging Mitch McConnell and Kevin McCarthy. So for all the virtue signaling that you guys have put out there over the course of the last two years regarding this stuff, um, were, I hope it's worked out well for you. Were there any lingering milker squeezes? Oh, God. <laughs> Don't say that. <laughs> like, like an extra chest bump. Everybody likes good milk or squeeze. Um, so, yeah, I mean, this is the stuff that was going on actively at Twitter. And it seems now that the narrative, although we can't do everything that we would like to to change it regarding the presidential election from 2020, was definitely rigged. 
the system was rigged against Donald Trump. Mm -hmm. And most likely because of this coordination, big tech and everybody else that was all hands on deck for it, stolen from him. So, you know, it's, uh, they may not like the delivery from Donald Trump. Not a lot of people do. But the fact of the matter, the meat and potatoes of what he was trying to say, he's extremely vindicated in a lot of it after this stuff that came out from Elon Musk. I saw Christine Romans. She's always got an absolutely phenomenal commentary. Jump on uh, CNN over the weekend. She was doing their Sunday uh, morning news circuit and was talking about how, well, there's a certain place where you could file this Elon Musk Disclosure on the button Biden laptop. Let's hear to a writer who then had a long tweet thread about them. So they weren't released to the public, so everyone could see exactly what this was. But this, these are documents related to the internal discussions at Twitter in 2020 around a laptop that was found at a uh, laptop repair, repair shop. shop that contained all kinds of really outrageous stuff from the president, now president's son, right? And inside Twitter, what you can see are all of these people who work there saying, is this real? This feels like Russian disinformation. Maybe it is real. Real arguments about how they should treat this material in an election year. Now, what some want you to think is that this was censorship by big tech. And that's why the president is saying you should throw out the Constitution because big tech is in cahoots with American democracy. That's what the president thinks. But what it sort of shows is a real struggle at an important platform for how to deal with something so outrageous, so explosive, and and what to actually do with it. Uh, what Pointer said, which is a, a media watchdog group, they said um, file this one under file the Twitter files under M for Meh. And the Washington Post said there are no no smoking gun here. We've known a lot of this. That Twitter really struggled with how to handle this explosive story that was published in the New York Post. Also because they couldn't verify a lot of exactly. it at the time, which was a major issue. Exactly. The Christine, the essential argument here from, from Musk and, and Taibbi, if you read this thread, is that there was undue political influence that folks connected to then-candidate Biden uh, were pushing Twitter to remove this for political reasons, right, uh, it, to, to help with the 2020 election. Is there any evidence of that? So what you see in these files are Republicans and Democrats at times going to Twitter and saying, hey, we don't know if this is true. Hey, you shouldn't elevate this or this. There were both parties, although more Democrats than Republicans from what we've seen in this thread, but both parties would go and say, hey, this isn't fair. This is tilting the scale. There's a lot of misinformation, disinformation on this platform, and we don't like this or we don't like that. So this, again, shows the struggle, I think, Twitter had at the time to being a a real arbiter of real information. We know that all of the social media sites have had a difficulty with that. You know, Elon Musk is is teasing, I guess, that there's going to be even more that will mm. be coming from these so-called Twitter files via TEB, this, this writer who um, has disdained, frankly, the mainstream media before. Uh, so we'll see what comes next. But he's not releasing it sort of to the public, he's releasing it to another voice to distill it to see what was actually going on behind the scenes uh, at Twitter at the time. So file it under M for me. Mm. Mm. You can't. I, I don't really think... Like I said, a lot of this stuff was common knowledge. And, you know, just the connection of the dots, CNN did truthfully argue that you know, the never Trumpers on the Republican side were in there trying to get this stuff taken out of the news cycle so it wouldn't assist Donald Trump in getting reelected just as much as 
you know, some of the Democrat counterparts were. And you even did have at some points, I mean, you've all saw it on Twitter, some members, House members from the Democrat Party saying like, okay, I get where you guys are going with the repression of this and, and like the nuking of accounts and, 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 you know, locking the New York Post account. Doesn't it kind of violate the First Amendment? And they're like, hey, we don't, we're pausing the Constitution because democracy is on the ballot. It's funny how it works. When, when they when they want it to? When the shoe's on the other foot because uh, that's exactly what they did. Um, probably going to want to fire up the garrison button. I saw yesterday that uh, KJP was asked about it during the White House presser. Let's hear the official response from the spokeswoman for Joe Biden. Elon Musk's ownership, and I've, the person we've talked to you since you released the files uh, a few days ago. Is it the White House view that decisions at Twitter were made appropriately uh, in terms of decisions to censor this reporting ahead of the election? Let me, you, you, uh, you mischaracterize actually what I what I actually said. She misgendered to get out it. Of context when you asked her a question. Um, look. When I answered the question, and I already, I actually already addressed this um, about uh, how the, the 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 White House and the administration is is seeing uh, what's happening on Twitter. We were we follow also uh, what's going on, just like you guys are reporting, just like you guys are seeing. And what I was commenting to is like, yes, we're we're seeing what is happening, just like you all are seeing what's mm. happening uh, with Twitter. So. Just want to clear that up because you definitely even though they were the ones said or put it emailing Twitter during the campaign. Um, and so, can you ask your question again? Mm. Yes, I mean, my question was that you had said I think six or so days ago that the White House was watching um, closely the situation at Twitter after Elon Musk's ownership of it with respect to misinformation, and because these files were released um, on the basis of you know hack materials clause uh, at Twitter. Uh, decisions were made to, to censor reporting leading up to the election. My question was, is it the White House view that these decisions were made appropriately in light of what has come out? Which decisions? By whom? Oh, God. By, Twitter. Mm. By Twitter on, okay. So, look, we oh. see this as a, a an interesting or oh. a coincidence, oh. if I may, that uh, uh, that he would so haphazardly, uh, Twitter was so haphazardly, just this distraction. Oh. Uh, that is a that is a full of uh, old news oh. if you think oh. about it, um, and uh, at the same time, Twitter is facing very real and very serious questions uh, about the rising volume of anger, hate, and anti-Semitism on their platform, what? and uh, oh. how they're letting it happen. And uh, you know, the president said last week, more leaders need to speak out and reject this. Uh. And uh, it's a very alarming and very dangerous. And but our focus right now is helping the American families. I just oh. talked about what the president is going to be doing in Arizona, talking about the Chips and Science Act, talking about how we're bringing manufacturing jobs back here to the U.S., talking about under this administration, more than 700,000 jobs uh, have been created mm -mm. Uh, nope. in, in manufacturing jobs, to be more specific. Gotcha. Look, what is happening? That's the real is, number right there. It's, it's frankly, it's not healthy. It won't do anything to help a single American improve their lives. And so, look, this isn't. We we see this as is an interesting, uh, you know, cons, uh, you know, coincidence, uh, and uh, we, and you know, it's a distraction. Coincidence. Coincidence. She also she, dink. she also said the quiet part out loud. I have been posting on social media for the greater part of the last year that if the Biden administration has created one million jobs in this country since 2021, it will be a lot. She just said that they've created 700,000 jobs, not the 
$554 billion that they always claim on a weekly basis because they're the best jobs administration in the history of the universe, even though 11 million Americans currently sit unemployed. And uh, coincidence. It's just a coincidence that the stuff that they did finally got out for everybody to see with actual receipts. Hmm. No, you look baffled. I, I can't. I can't with these people. Conservative actor, one of our favorite accounts on Twitter, James Woods. Mm-hmm. Jumped, I like it. And jumped on with Tucky Friday after this stuff came out and wanted to give a little bit of commentary and a warning to the Democrat Party. Let's hear one of our favorites. Uh, so I, I I can't speak about this as with, with the informed consent that I would like to, and I can't speak as intelligently as, as I would like to, but... You know, when you see your name on an enemy's list, you want to say to your enemies, you know, really an interesting thing. When you declare somebody your enemy, they can now say you're my enemy, too. Mm. And it's a funny thing about the Constitution. You know, I I tweeted something today about James Monroe. You know how old James Monroe, President of the United States, by the way, later on, you know how old he was when, um, when, when they signed the Declaration of Independence? No. You know, He was 18 years old. 18 years old, okay? John Adams was 19 years old. You know, they're talking about all oh, these old white men wrote the Constitution. They were <laughs> teenagers fighting for an independent way of life, fighting for rights, the most precious of which, the most precious of which was the right to free speech. And the government of the United States conspired to take my free speech and throw it in the gutter. And there's something that they should fear more than anything they have ever imagined in their wildest dreams. The most dangerous man to these corrupt, vile vermin is an American who's not afraid of them. And Joe Biden and all those rats who worked with you at the DNC to close down my speech. I am not afraid of you. And I'm coming for you. Mm, I like that. Damn! He he did announce that he's going to be filing a massive lawsuit against all parties involved because it did come out that... As well he should. As as request of all of those people that we've been mentioning throughout the course of our cold open, he was on a list of accounts that needed to get shut down. And although he was never nuked from the platform, he was essentially put into our category mm-hmm. where it doesn't matter what you say or, yep. or who you have on your show, uh, no one's going to see it. It's got to be disappointing to get nuked by a vagina god. Mm. The JJ god <laughs> can't can't beat that. Yeah, it's a, it's 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 crazy to see you know some of the people that were affected by this and 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 how hard uh, they all went to you know give Donald Trump every opportunity to lose his reelection bid. Um, not because of the people he had around him, the message that he was portraying, the money he spent in the election cycle, simply because they just didn't want him to be president again. And they're terrified of him, which is why he still remains on Steak for Breakfast, the only clear-cut candidate to uh, be the Republican nominee moving forward. Last clip of the cold open. Let's take it back just a few weeks ago. Let me set the scene for you, Noah. Mar-a-Lago, mm-hmm. Grand Ballroom. Ooh. Presidential kickoff campaign. Mm-hmm. Donald Trump referring to all these people. Let's hear it. We will be resisted by the combined forces of the establishment, the media, the special interests, the globalists, the Marxist radicals, 
The woke corporations, check, 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 the check, weaponized check. power of the federal government, mm. the colossal political machines, the tidal wave of dark money and the most dangerous domestic censorship system ever created by man or woman, mm. the most dangerous system we've ever had. We will be attacked. We will be slandered. We will be persecuted just as I have been. I mean, I have been, but many people in this room have been. But we will not be intimidated. We will persevere. We will. Pretty much time traveler Trump confirmed again. And, <laughs> and, and, and I mean, he knew it. Listen, the, the guy knows what's going on. The guy's brilliant for the way he comes off and, and puts all these people on notice that they're watching. And although both legally and on the debate stage, he has not been able to overcome the massive amount of force that's been put up against him and his campaign in the America First message. I mean, they literally make you think that he's a bad candidate when we've never seen anything like this happen to another individual. They literally make you think that he picks bad picks to run for elections when the amount of money that's come out against a lot of these candidates, you know, it's been released just in the last 24 hours. I saw Let's just talk midterm elections. Some of Trump's top endorsements here. Some of the greatest people that we had on Steak for Breakfast on a regular basis. Let's talk about how the Republican Party and the DNC collaborated to spend more money right here. Okay, John Gibbs. Love him. Biggest Jesus piece in the game. Yep. Guy's brilliant. Mm -hmm. I think it was Stanford, then Harvard. Mm -hmm. Worked with Dr. Carson and HUD. Went and ran for Michigan 3. Outspent by $3.5 million. That's a little bit. Joe Kent? Mm -hmm. 3.6. Mm. J.R. Majewski, 3.7. Jim Bognett, almost $2 million. Sarah Palin, in the, in the uh, primary, she was outspent by $4 million. In the general election, 6.3. Arizona Senate, Blake Masters. Now we're going to get into the big boy numbers. $65 million Blake Masters was outspent by. It's a little ridiculous. Adam Laxalt, $45,000. $45 million, not thousand <clears throat> million. PA Senate, Dr. Oz, $40 million. And then Don Bulldock, who wasn't even what I thought really as a threat. He was like kind of the outside horse that moved up to the front of the pack after the primaries and looked to be promising in the general election. They spent $33 million to make sure he didn't become a senator. Wow. And in some of those races where they were so tight, Adam Laxalt comes off. If Mitch McConnell would have just spent an eighth of that money, to get him over the finish line, he would have been a senator in Nevada. Same thing is going to happen with Herschel Walker today, which we'll get into in our News 1 if, if we don't get out to the polls and uh, take care of business. Um, but, but kind of unpacking the rest of this narrative while giving us, well, it's not really a black pill. It's kind of like a gray pill on it, is uh, one of our favorite lawyers and absolute experts in all things related to President Trump. Let's get him on the phone right now. All right, joining us first on the show today, he is the former chief of staff to the Department of Defense. He's also a special assistant to the 45th president of the United States, Mr. Donald J. Trump. Joining us again, one of our great friends, Mr. Cash Patel. Thanks for coming in hot today. I'm sure you got some heaters for our listenership. Cash, how's everything with you? Welcome back to the show. It's been busy since the last time we've talked to you, but uh, how are things on your end? Yeah, yeah. You know, I'm glad it's the holiday season. Christmas is my favorite time of year, so I absolutely love it. 
So that's good, even though the uh, state of the country would basically gut you um, if you spent any time watching any piece of the news or watching our political leadership destroy us. But, you know, separate conversations um, and also the World Cup's on. And I'm a big soccer fan. So, you know, ups and downs. How are you guys? Upsets galore. We're doing okay, hanging in there, you know, cranking out the shows as usual, just working hard, trying to get the – you know, unfiltered message out there to everybody. It's listen, Cash. I'll be completely honest. With you, whenever I need to get brought back down to earth, and sometimes you know, just like everybody else is guilty of it, they'll, they'll want to jump on the the hopium train, or you know, <laughs> we're finally going to have things come to light. All I need to do is send you a text message, and you bring me right back down to the lobby. <laughs> so, it, and that's the case with the Elon Musk drop that came out uh. on Friday. Listen. Like you, like you had talked to me uh, over the weekend. There, nothing really came out that we didn't know. This was just a clarification and connection of the dots with uh, some mm-hmm. physical receipts. But besides that, kind of, kind of a big nothing burger. And everybody kind of spun it into to something that it really wasn't, uh, both on the left and the right. And uh, you know, outside looking in, someone who was literally involved with a lot of the stuff that happened regarding this. What, what did you think about when you saw uh, how it all kind of unfolded last week? Well, I put up a truth that kind of explains my my position. And I said, so far, it's the largest disinformation, Twitter files, that is, so far, are the largest disinformation cover-up operation in media history. Uh, yes, you read that. Uh, I said that correctly. Until Elon releases every email and contract between Titter, FBI, Perkins Coie, James Baker, and the fake news, then it's all optical BS. He says he's for transparency. Well, he's faked it like the media did in Russiagate. Selectively choosing what you want to put out makes them worse than the very government gangsters we've been trying to expose all these years. So, you know, if he needs an assist, I told him to go watch the plot against the president. But if he wants to put stuff out piecemeal and claim he's the, uh, you know, king of transparency, he ain't. Now, look, maybe he's got more coming. But listen, the bandwidth for the world to stay focused on this issue is not big. And what you're basically giving us is epithets of, you know, oh, my God, look at us, how awesome we are. Vijay Agad was a terrible person and censored everything um, on not unlawfully, but probably unethically. We all knew that. We all knew Twitter was a massive censoring operation for the Democratic arm. That's nothing new that they were talking with congressmen and women. We knew that. Um, Big deal. Um, why haven't you fired James Baker, the Comey's number one lawyer, the general counsel for the FBI who orchestrated Russia Gate, who leaked sensitive information on the Steele dossier to the media while he was general counsel of the FBI. This guy who pre-cleared Hillary Clinton as the FBI general counsel before her investigation was ever completed is now, after getting canned from the Bureau because of our Russiagate investigation, deputy legal counsel at Twitter, and who's he been communicating with? Well, I don't know, because Elon Musk won't put that out. Are you telling me he hasn't talked to Twitter and FBI? He hasn't talked to Perkins Coie, the Democratic law firm that is Twitter's lawyers? Really? The guys that orchestrated the Russiagate hoax from a money standpoint and funneled millions of dollars to Fusion GBS and Steel? They're Twitter's lawyers. And the guy on the inside is Twitter's lawyer, James Baker. And you're telling me he didn't talk to Comey or any of the corrupt bureaucrats or he didn't have any contact with the FBI about Hunter Biden's laptop and make the calls on balls and strikes based on political uh, prowess, which is what he did during Russiagate? Yeah, when you put everything out there, then maybe I'll take you seriously, Elon. But right now, you're on a solo rocket ship ride to Mars, and I could care less. 
Mm. He did put up some uh, memes of that on his on his Twitter feed over the last couple of days. No, Cash, you make a whole lot of sense, and, and I have to give you credit where credit is due. We actually were pumping this narrative out over the weekend on Twitter. Uh, you, you talked to me about it on Saturday, I believe, and then I put out a post on Truth Social. I put out a post on Twitter that got shared very heavily on both platforms, and, and the fact of the matter is it took all the way until last night to see some of the people in the mainstream media. I saw Lauren Inger. Laura Ingram, she did a five-minute piece on it last night, uh, trying to connect these dots with, with James Baker. And uh, but it's like, where where were you guys? I mean, people that are in the corporate media, they know this stuff long ahead of time, and it's it's you know part of their due diligence to talk about it. Just the sole fact, like you mentioned, that he's still there, and in the context that he's allowed to operate, even though that like you know Prague and and Vijaya are both out of there, uh, is extremely alarming. I mean, and and like you said, Elon Musk's lack of transparency regarding it and him uh, kind of discredit all the transparency, like you said, that he's trying to put out there. It's kind of like, uh, hey, look at how transparent I'm being, knowing that. 95% of the people who just casually follow politics don't even know who James Baker is or might think it's the one that was like yeah. the former secretary of state back in the day. So it's, it's pretty alarming to see. And, uh, you know, hopefully we'll get some transparency on this because we know there's been a lot of major accounts, especially on Twitter that have tagged him asking him about this. So at least he sees it, but, uh, whether or not he's going to do anything about it moving forward, you would have thought this would have been one of his slam dunk firings on day one, but there he still sits in this position with a lot of influence over the application. And the question is, why? Why? What does he have on Musk and Twitter that this guy's still there? It's it's like Rosenstein and Barr keeping Bruce Orr for years. After Why? This guy, Bruce Orr, the associate deputy attorney general, acted as a freaking spy for the FBI um, when Christopher Steele got fired in a cutout to perpetuate the largest criminal conspiracy to take down a political opponent. And he kept his job for two years. Now, James Baker, who's done the exact same thing, if not worse, as the general counsel is 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 over on uh, Twitter, and now he's on Elon's payroll, so that's the difference. So you know what? You should take that truth that I just read, since I don't participate in Twitter, and send it directly to Elon and be like, "Hey, if you want to know how to run an investigation, read this. If you want read account real accountability, read this, because you are serving up a total farce of accountability and transparency." And here's the thing: at the end of the day. He's not really burning down Twitter, right? It's his billion-dollar baby. Well, $44 billion baby. Yeah. And at the end of the day, he's a billionaire who wants to what? Own the skies, own Starlink, implant neurological devices in humans. So they do, I don't know what. And also has SpaceX and Tesla. This guy literally wants one app, one application to run everybody's life and own the world. And the only way you do that is you continue to be a successful billionaire. You don't continue to burn down the largest social media apparatus on planet earth. And so maybe it's tactics and maybe I'm wrong, but he hasn't answered any of these questions. And the one guy he's given it to Taibi, um, I haven't heard him go after the FBI at all. In fact, I think there was a message somewhere out there that I saw that he said that, Oh, I haven't seen anything that shows that the FBI was involved in it. What are you talking about? That's like Adam Schiff saying during Russiagate, I haven't seen anything that the FBI was involved in the corruption and criminality. It's there. It's not being released, and if you cover it up, you're worse than the Vijaya Gads and the other clowns at Twitter who did the censoring. In my opinion, you're worse than them. Well, it's a, it's an excellent point that you make there. And Cash, someone who's worked in the federal judiciary and then in the highest levels of the intelligence community over the course of your career in the Beltway, when you see some of these receipts that came out and, and the coordination between the FBI, the Department of Justice, DHS, the DNI, 
leakers with inside the White House, members of both sides of Congress, big tech, and the mainstream media, not just in regards to the Hunter Biden laptop. That stuff may be a little bit dated. We're seeing now there's internal communications between you want to talk about as recent as the midterm elections, Katie Hobbs office and, and mm-hmm. Twitter in regards to uh, Internet suppression and, and narrative crushings that this stuff is still going on. Um, it seems like it's business as usual, regardless of what comes out on it. And uh, did, did it surprise you to see the levels of coordination? I mean, obviously, we, we know people like Christopher Ray and Bill Barr sat on this information from late 2019 and up through when it was officially repressed uh, after the New York Post expose came out. But to see all the other members to where there was even Democrat Congress people who were saying, like, you know, there's a really fine line here. I think we're crossing it. This probably isn't the right way to go. And uh, just the, the internal arguments like they just didn't care. It was like an open forum to just be like, all right, who, who's the counselor we nuking today? What, what media stories are we uh, taking out of the cycle and, and how many hands are involved in it? No, Twitter was the FBI of Russiagate for the media. That's what they are. That's exactly what they did. The FBI didn't care about the criminality and the arrogance of their own conduct. They just cared about quote unquote, taking down Donald Trump and Twitter didn't care about the ethical or unethical obligations of their jobs and the actual free speech platform they're supposed to be serving. They just cared about taking down Donald Trump and any of his supporters. And Bill Barr and Chris Ray are front and center in this conspiracy. They allowed weekly meetings with the FBI and Twitter during the election cycle for the presidency of the United States to go on, which means one thing, they directly authorized and sent agents to Twitter to direct them and engage with them on what to censor and what not to censor. The first subpoenas this House of Republicans should send out is Bill Barr. The second one is Chris Ray, and he's not allowed to get on a taxpayer-funded jet ride to the mountains this time after an hour. He can sit in that seat for weeks and answer every single damn question and produce every document the FBI has. If Twitter won't produce the documents, you know who you can get to do it a subpoena from congress to the fbi for every communication any fbi agent has ever had with twitter and any lawyer and i bet you james baker was talking to twitter while he was running the russiagate op when he landed his golden parachute after he got shit canned Mm -hmm. because we caught him lying to federal officers so these people need to be exposed and then bill barr needs to answer the question we know you sat on the Hunter Biden laptop for a year and a half. That's probably why you couldn't find it. <laughs> but why did you permit the world's premier law enforcement agency to engage in a disinformation campaign during a presidential election cycle? Answer that question. I know you want to go out there and sell your book and disparage me, which I could care less about what you think. Uh, but you are a government gangster of the first order. And you have no explanation for this because you participated in the censorship of true information and helped rig a presidential election. These guys need to answer for it. Maybe actually add James Baker to that trio and put them next to each other in Congress and have them testify together at the same time for a month. That would definitely get some uh, answers or maybe not answers that could lead to some a little bit harsher penalties than what they're getting now, like you said, is enjoying the ride down on their golden parachutes and, uh, you know, making money off of book deals, telling their version of the story, which seems to be an alternate reality from the one we're living in currently. It seems that the juiciest parts and the actual receipts are what they've left out of their books and like to tell. You know, maybe you could hire them over at Best Books because uh, it seems that they tell pretty good fantasies and uh, <laughs> alternate realities. They could be like some of the new villains in, uh, you know, uh plot against the king three so you know it's 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 so crazy to see that 
how this all kind of shaped out, not because we're learning anything new, but just how, you know, we saw some of the, how the backroom channels were operating and, and confirms with a lot of people like you have been saying for literally years now. And, uh, very alarming. We'll have to see. You know what? I'm going to try and tag Elon Musk a couple times on Twitter later and see if I can tag yeah. him in your truth post. And who knows? At, at the very least, maybe he reads it. He doesn't even answer it off. But uh, at the very least, he might, uh, you know, see it and want to get in touch with you at some point. Cash, we got the Georgia runoff today. Uh, oh, Herschel Walker is looking to, uh, you know, even the score in the Senate right now and, and keep it at at push. But uh, he's up against Raphael Warnock. What are you What are you seeing from outside looking in? Uh, how do you think Herschel's going to do today? Well, 1.5 million early mail-in ballots is troubling. Yes. And that's where we're at right now. And I've been telling everybody that we need to play the election mail-in ballot game because it's the law of the land in many states. And they don't want to do it. So while I'm a big fan of Herschel, and I hope he's the 50th senator in the United States Senate, and I fully endorsed him and helped him as much as I could, that's going to be a tough slog fighting that machine. And if he loses, it's going to be by a small margin of you guessed it, mail-in ballot votes that happen to appear, um, you know, late in the cycle so or late in the election process. So I just can't echo it, you know, say it enough. Unless you guys, not you guys, unless we get involved in Arizona, in Nevada, in Wisconsin, in Georgia, in Pennsylvania, on the early mail-in ballot game, we will never put people in place to change the rules in those states so that we can actually have an election that we have confidence in going forward. That's what it takes. The Democrats have outmaneuvered us on that. And people say, well, we believe in election day, election voting. Okay, that's great. I do too. But none of it is going to matter if you don't win. So you have to decide whether you want to win and put candidates out there that espouse our values when it comes to national security, law enforcement, the border, education, uh, freedom of speech, and taking on our, par- our rivals overseas. Are those things more or less important than your conviction to vote on election day? Simple question. And, you know, if the latter outweighs the former, we ain't going to win in 24. We ain't going to win in Georgia. And it's going to be a rough ride. But I think people are finally waking up to the fact that, A, we need to get smart on elections. And B, this I cannot say more loudly. Fire every political consultant on the Republican side of the House across the United States of America. $55 million dollars to freaking Axiom Consulting and Jeff Rowe in Texas to lose 50% of the races he ran. Holy shit. Are you kidding me? If someone would pay me 50 grand to lose a hockey game on Beer League on Sunday <laughs> night, I would gladly take it. This asshat gets 55 million to lose us the United States Senate and not win gubernatorial races? He spent 17 million. No, no, he got 17 million, excuse me, in Arizona, and his guy didn't even get out of the Republican primary. Yep. Thankfully, Blake Masters, I believe, was a better candidate, and he got out. But this is what we're up against. These institutions in the Republican Party and the Republican ecosystem are costing us elections as much as the election day, election mail-in ballot racket is. And and I think sometimes they're costing us more. And so does the RNC want to do anything besides yammer on endlessly about who's going to be the next head? Or are we going to have people say we're done and don't donate to them stop donating to them go donate to the campaign and the and the person you want directly and make sure they never spend your dollars on these political consultant hacks that are ruining the republican candidates across this country and i don't care what kind of trouble that gets me in i'm never running for office 
So I don't give a shit. And these people don't pay me, so I don't care. I got one more candidate I'm going to back in 2024, and that's Donald J. Trump. Other than that, you can come after me all you want, but that's the problem. I like it, actually. You know, that's a really good narrative. I saw some of these numbers came out yesterday. Uh, it's just like you said, some of the candidates that we loved, a lot of the ones that were on this show frequently, you know, you want to talk about house races, John Gibbs, Joe Kent, yeah. J.R. Majewski, they were all outspent on average by $3.5 million. One of the races that you worked heavily on, Adam Laxall, $45 million he was outspent by. Not 45000 yeah, not 450000 $45 million was spent more uh, trying to stop his race than, than he was able to spend or, or got money from uh, Mitch Bucks or, or anybody in the RNC moving forward. It's a little bit. Mm. No, but we got we lit that money on fire in those campaigns by redirecting it to these political consultants instead of what? Buying TV ads. Yep. Getting people to go out and get the vote out. We that dollar goes so much further when you put it to good use with who people in the states, let's say Nevada, my home state with Adam, who care about winning. What did he lose by 8,000 votes? Are you telling me we couldn't pick up 8,000 votes in the state of Nevada if we didn't if we didn't have political consultants leading us astray by lighting bags of money on fire? There's yeah. no way. There's just no way. And are you telling me the margins that Abe and, and Kerry lost by in Arizona couldn't be surmounted? I don't believe that. I don't believe it either. I believe we could have won there, but we just directed our funding. And, and I'm talking our collective funding. Every time you gave a dollar to these campaigns, I don't know, 80% of it would go to these political consultant groups who would just be like, all right, we'll take half of that. And then we'll send the other half to our cronies and this digital marketing racket and we'll get a 10% kickback. And then, um, you know, you'll pop out an email that says, we're going to match this by three X if you donate $10 today. And then they take eight more bucks back. I mean, it's 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 such a freaking criminal mafia style running of the numbers that needs to end. Oh, it certainly does. And uh, moving forward, I mean, you did mention instead of just talking endlessly about who's going to be next in Republican leadership, let's talk endlessly a little bit about who's going to be next in Republican leadership. I did see this morning on Truth Social, you did put out a poll for the four potential candidates who are looking to uh, maybe fill yeah. the role of GOP, uh, well, the RNC chair moving forward in 2023, and that would be Ronald McDaniel, Lee Zeldin, uh, Harmeet Dillon, and Mike Lindell. Um, again, outside looking in, like, you know, you have uh, your political narrative shaped and you know you talk about it when you come in the show all the time you've got four candidates there one's got a legitimate track record in regards to uh running the rnc the other three are pretty much uh outsiders to the to the chair but not outside of politics completely besides mike lindell uh what do you think about you know the candidate quality there and how do you see that going down well i personally know you know actually three of those uh four uh, folks really well sure and I think there needs to be a heavy discussion on who should be the next RNC chair. I don't know enough of the RNC world to lay blame at Ronna McDaniel and how that apparatus works, but I do know enough to say we lost many races we had no business losing. Whose fault was that? I lay it with the political consultants, but are you telling me the political consultants don't work with the RNC? I don't buy that. I think Lee Zeldin's a great warrior, and he helped us secure four seats in the House of Representatives in New York that we had no business winning, which helped us secure a majority. I think Harmeet Dillon, who's been a friend of mine for a long time, has been a part of the RNC forever, is a brilliant lawyer. 
um, and has been championing a lot of America first values in court cases and court battles that no one wanted to take on. So if these folks want to go at it, and of course, Mike Lindell is a powerhouse in the MAGA movement. I mean, you see the, mo- the, the, the people that follow him. So why shouldn't there be a discussion? Why should there just be an anointment? That's my problem in this day and age. I don't know enough to say this person or that person should be the next RNC chair. I do know enough to say we just got our asses handed to us in certain elections. And I want to know why we failed, because it's not on messaging. I do not believe for a second that people who voted in certain races think America is better off today than it was three years ago. I do not believe people are in favor of no border. I do not believe people are in favor of Chinese fentanyl killing our children. I do not believe people are in favor of Iran and China on the rise and Al Qaeda getting back to power in Afghanistan. These just aren't political issues. Um, And so something else happened and we have institutionalized on the Republican side of the house, um, basically money bins that we are willing to set on fire as long as the institutional class gets their cut. And I'm, I'm over it. I won't give these people any money. I won't give him any support. Um, people call me all the time and say, hey, can you call the boss for me? No, I can't. I won't. What did you do um, to help win a race? Uh, and they'll be like, well, you know, I you know, I got this candidate uh, consultant. And I was like, okay, well, you're the problem. So I have no more quarter for you. Hey, can you call and that's me? what other people have to do. I don't know if they'll do it, but the difference is I just don't give a shit anymore. So I'm good with it. No, that's the kind of uh, getting back to the 2016 narrative that we need to get back to is what a lot of people are urging to to hopefully see from Donald Trump moving forward. We've tried to explain it to people. There's such an enormous amount of time between now and the presidential primary yeah. season. Oh, there's no so much. There's no reason for Donald Trump to come out and start just launching haymakers right now because that's going to be saved for the campaign trail. That's going to be also yeah. saved for the debate stage. And right now he's just kind of in the, in the midst of he's getting his staff together. He still doesn't have a chief of staff moving forward for 2024 yet. And once all those things get lined up, then it's going to be full go, but we won't see final form Trump until, you know, deep into the next year. And uh, which is completely fine because I don't want to have it burn out or, or something that becomes like we've be, we get so conditioned because we see so much stuff in the news cycle. And then uh, you, you did mention something. So do you think you can call the big guy for us? <laughs> um, I probably could, but uh, we'll, we'll do, I'll set it up for another time. How's that? I probably couldn't, he'd probably pick up, but like then yeah, like, who are we talking to? Yeah, we wouldn't want to. We wouldn't want to have the interview that way. We, we Plus, are, I want to get him on the show. That's the goal. We're, we're in a so. we're in a holding pattern with Budowich now. I've had two emails back and forth with him. The first hey, one, the first you're one in was a holding like, pattern. That's that's a good pattern to be in. That, um, that's in what a lot. Of, that's what a lot of people have told us. He said, "I'm, not, I'm telling you, not saying no, no is great. We, we feel like it's going to happen eventually. We just don't want it's it to. Gonna, be. It's going to happen, and we're going to go down to Mar-a-Lago, and we're going to have some fun when it does. Ooh, I like that. I see all these people hanging out down there all the time. Wait, uh, you mean he doesn't want to come in the studio with us? Stop it. <laughs> this is a nice studio, but I, I, well, I can offer Vegas as a neutral meeting ground and a place to shoot if you want. That would be absolutely perfect as well. I'm sure the PBR would be flowing like the, I don't know. Yes, at, at Trump Hotel, the PBR would be flowing <laughs> like the salmon of Capistrano. <laughs> there you go. Real quick on house leadership. Uh, we see all the stuff that's going on. We've kind of laid it out there for everybody. Everybody automatically goes into this Doomer narrative. If we don't get Kevin McCarthy, we're getting a Democrat or we're getting Liz Cheney, and it's going to be awful. I try to remind our listenership, Jim Boehner and Paul Ryan, when he jumped above Kevin McCarthy because of his last little scandal when he ran for House, against, uh, House leader against Paul Ryan back then, 
both had less votes in their straw poll than Kevin McCarthy got yeah. a couple weeks ago. In addition to that, we've seen people like House Freedom Caucus member, great friend, Matt Gates, kind of just lay out there. When it comes down to game day, he's only got four or five people that are hard-nosed, which means Kevin McCarthy logistically has to whip two or three people to become Speaker of the House. How do you see that whole thing going down? Look, I think Kevin's going to be Speaker. And when the Republican caucus gets around that, then they can move forward. Matt's a dear friend, and so are so many of the other people that yeah. are posting positions in opposition to Kevin. And I understand where they're coming from. And this is the time to exact um, chairmanships from the future leader and jockey for votes. That's what happens there. I want this person to be leader on the Oversight and Government Reform Committee. I want this person to be our gavel leader on the uh, Ways and Means or whatever, right? And that's how you build a cohesion. So you have people in positions of power to conduct oversight investigations, because that's what Congress is going to have to do, because this Department of Justice and FBI won't do it, who have unilateral subpoena authority. That's the key. And they need to negotiate that with Kevin McCarthy yesterday. We do not have to go to the speaker like Devin and I had to go to Speaker Paul Ryan every time I wanted a subpoena for Russiagate and every time he said no. And remember, this is the same Paul Ryan who was Speaker of the House and received an advanced copy of the Steele dossier and never told his chief investigator or his chairman of the Intelligence Committee and to which he bestowed that investigation on that he got it early, that he had it the entire time, and who he got it from. These are the corrupt government gangsters we have to stay away from. And the types of oversight investigations that need to happen are, yes, Hunter Biden's laptop, yes, the border and New Yorkers, yes, the election rigging, and yes, the misinformation campaigns, and yes, Twitter. But that can't happen unless you have chairmen and women who have the authority of subpoena power to haul not just documents in, but people in, and put them before the American public and ask questions for days on ends if need be. Now, Kevin has a chance right now, literally this week, to make a power play. He has said that he will not allow the Biden and Secretary Austin plan of forcing vaccine mandates on our military to stand. Mm -hmm. Listen, if he, Kevin, accomplishes defeating that, that is a position of leadership that many people can get behind. Because as we we share uh, fundamentally on this one, there should never be a vaccine mandate for anyone serving either in federal law enforcement or the United States military. And the Biden administration doubled down on it yesterday. McCarthy said it's not gonna happen. And do you know why I believe that McCarthy's got a chance? Because he controls the funding. The House of Representatives originates all funding bills. So let's see. We'll know by, you know, within a week, if Kevin pulls off that feat, then he's going to have a lot more people marshal behind him because that is one thing on the Republican conservative side of the House that we have been trying to defeat since Joe Biden got elected. And it's the one thing that unites many, many people from across different conservative spectrums. No, that's an excellent point you make. And it's just like we, we've come to learn by so many sparkling examples that just kowtowing to anything to try to meet in the middle or show any kind of bipartisanship right now it just doesn't work. For example, I don't know if you saw it already this morning. They had an event up on Capitol Hill. It was for the Capitol policemen, the warriors of January 6th, where they were getting like, I don't know. Oh. Yeah, exactly. Congressional gold medals from a delegation that was led by Chuck Schumer, Nancy Pelosi, Mitch McConnell, and Kevin McCarthy. Yeah. All of the officers who came up on stage, hugged Nancy Pelosi, got their medal, shook Chuck Schumer's hand, and turned their backs and walked away from McConnell and McCarthy without even acknowledging them. So what did all that virtue signaling, feeding into impeachment, feeding into the insurrection narrative, really get you when you have that optic right there that's now going to be part of 2024 election cycle commercials 
all because you thought you were doing the right thing or didn't remain loyal to the president or didn't stick to America first principles. And then you get bad photo ops like that. So kind of boomerangs back on them. But moving forward, I do think we need to address the most important thing in the holiday season. And that's some of the great deals you're going to be having down uh, with your apparatus at Cash's Corner and friends regarding your books, merch and stuff like that. Why don't you tell our listenership what you got going on down there? Yeah, I'll keep it simple. I appreciate it. you guys have been such great supporters of it, but go to fightwithcash.com, fightwithcash.com. You know what we did? We built an army. It's a 501c3. You get tax deductions if you want to donate. I'm not asking for your donations. I'm asking for your support. We bought 10 $1,000 dinners for families in need during Thanksgiving. Awesome. And I'm proud to announce that we're going to buy 20 Christmas meals for families in need nice. at $1,000 a pop for the Christmas holiday season. We've uh, granted distributions of money to whistleblowers. We've set up legal defense funds for people in need in defamation cases. We've also supported January 6 families who have been financially decimated. This is the thing I'm most proud of at fightwithcash.com and yes you get to wear crazy outfits and support us the holiday orange man bad hoodie is online now nice and here's the kicker we don't have a salary no board member makes money we do this because we believe in the mission and trying to take care of people by doing some good and yeah if you want to have fun and stock your stuffings with the plot against the king and plot against the king too yeah we got a great deal we got communist mugs on sale well excuse me i stand corrected communist tears mugs are free <laughs> if you go to plotagainstthekingcom and buy the book and sh- and we'll put it in the stocking stuffer for you along with the Christmas ornaments. So check out plot against the get the Christmas package bundle deal and save 10% today. And uh, there's a couple of surprises in there. Maybe a couple of, uh, personalized messages. I did sign 3000 books last week, so I might have some fun notes for the holidays. You're just going to have to buy a couple of books and see, but uh, fightwithcash.com and plotagainstthekeng.com. Then I'm going to rely on steak for breakfast. Actually, Andrew had a great idea. I've got 40 pounds of fresh elk kill in my freezer. We're going to call one episode elk for breakfast, and Mm. we're going to come have like elk egg and cheese sandos one morning and do a live show. I like it. We're going to have a lot of fun. And then you are going to hammer Elon Musk on Twitter with my truths. <laughs> uh, we will be doing all that. Cash, you've got great merch, but an even better organization. The stuff you've been doing since since you came out of the Trump White House and, you know, continuing your alliance with 45 is, is just absolutely amazing. You've done so much for the community and continue to do so. I think one of the most important things is providing the actual narrative and, and being able to cut through all the red tape that's put out there by, you know, the legacy media and the press and stuff like that. It's always a pleasure having you on the show. We are going to be having you back on the uh, 30th. It's our 200th episode. Yeah. And, uh, Love it. Can't wait. wait last episode of the year so it's going to be a good one hopefully we won't have anything like they have on cnn's you know uh new year's eve shows we'll, we'll keep it a little bit less gross than that but uh we'll, we'll still have some fun and we'll have a lot of great guests in on that day as well where are we finding everybody uh where are we finding you cash on social media obviously we know there's only one place and then we're going to live link uh fight with cash in the store in the uh, show description today yeah, that's it. Look, if you want to know what I'm thinking, go to Truth Social at Cash, Truth Social at KSH. Um, and uh, that's it. I post my thoughts there. It's an actual free speech platform. I don't know where Elon Musk is heading, but right now it's not the right direction. I think it's a total cover up operation. But uh, you're right. You guys have dominated Truth Social. We've all become good friends. And that's been the whole point of that ride. And look, we're less than a year in on that uh, mission. And that's pretty cool. 
when you have millions and millions and millions of people on it um, who don't necessarily agree with you politically. And that's the whole point. I, I get people yelling at me all the time and I'm like, that's great. I invited AOC weekly onto the platform. Mm. And, uh, you know, if Jim Carrey wants to get off Twitter, which I think is hilarious, you're more than welcome on Truth Social. I think you're a moron who is a hypocrite, um, but that's okay. You guys have a place at Truth Social just like everybody else. And for you guys, you guys have crushed it. You're one of my favorites. I wish you a Merry Christmas and a Happy Holiday season. I can't wait for the episode on the 30th. But I really hope you guys get some downtime during the holidays because I don't think the audience knows how much you do for our country and your team does. So we at Fight With Cash are very appreciative of you. And when you get your holiday Christmas Fight With Cash package soon at Elk for Breakfast, you <laughs> might have to wear it, put out a photo or two, I'm just saying. We will do a soft rebrand when we get, when we sit down for uh, <laughs> elk, egg, and cheese on the poppy seed rolls. Those are my favorites. We'll break out the horse head. <laughs> Sounds absolutely it. phenomenal. C- Cash, again, we'll, we'll see you after Christmas. We hope you have the best holiday season. Obviously, a Merry Christmas. We look forward to uh, keeping in touch with you and pumping out all the stuff you got going on. Uh, at your organization and then cutting through, like I said, that fake news narrative. And uh, thanks again for coming on the show. This is the former chief of staff to the Department of Defense, special assistant to Donald Trump, Mr. Cash Patel. Thanks for joining us. Thanks, guys. Uh, First, let me just say that uh, anyone... (laughs) seeking the presidency who thinks that the Constitution could somehow be suspended somehow followed. Somehow. It seems to me would have a very hard time being sworn in uh, as President of the United States. With regard to all the issues that are swirling around, like a Werther's original. Let me just say that we, we're at a pretty significant impasse. Uh, I think job one is to try to get the NDAA um, approved without any extraneous uh, matters included in it. We've done this for 60 straight years, and I don't think this ought to be 60 straight uh, years. the first year that we don't achieve there. passing an NDAA. Right. With regard to government spending, hmm. time is ticking. Time. We have not been able to agree on a top line yet, oh. and I think it's becoming increasingly likely that we may need to do a short-term CR no. into early Mm-mm. next year. We're running out of time. Time. And that may end up being the only option left that we could agree to pursue. Well, that's Noah's favorite Werther's original spokesman, the husband of Elaine Coco Chow, mm. China Mitch McConnell, weighing in on some of Donald Trump's comments over the course of the weekend. Of course, Donald Trump was ahead of this narrative. Yesterday afternoon, he truthed on his social media platform. The fake news is actually trying to convince the American people that I said I wanted to, quoting, terminate the Constitution. This is simply more disinformation and lies, just like Russia, 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 and all the other hoaxes and scams. What I said was, when there is massive and widespread fraud and deception, as has been irrefutably proven in the 2020 presidential election cycle, Steps must be taken immediately to right the wrong. Only fools would disagree with that and accept stolen elections. MAGA. Yeah. Like I said, you may not always like the delivery. You read between the lines, the man speaking the truth. Um, he got absolutely hosed 
and you know he's he's looking for pathways back to uh getting in the argument instead of talking about future elections we could talk about the one we're having today we touched on it a bit with cash patel in uh our interview following our cold open and that's the georgia senatorial runoff election trump endorsed america first candidate herschel walker is up versus incumbent democrat senator Raphael warnock um it's in the one o'clock hour here on the west coast polls are still going to be open for about four hours in georgia i believe they close at 7 p.m there so if you're in the peach state and you're listening to the show on the way to the Voting centers, congratulations. If you've already voted, congratulations. If you haven't voted and live in Georgia, get out and vote. One of the Republican leaders, Florida Senator Rick Scott, was on Fox Business yesterday. He was talking about the importance of the Georgia runoff. Let's hear him as we start to unpack this narrative a little bit. Well, I'm optimistic. Uh, you, you heard what Herschel said. It's a clear choice. You know, Herschel's a guy that's going to represent the state of Georgia and, and focus on the issues that American families care about. Warnick is going to represent New York because that's what he does. But here's the key. you got to go vote. you got to get all your friends. you got to get your family members to vote. Here's what I tell people. When are you finally going to get, get so mad of $31 trillion of debt, military members being kicked out of the military because they don't want to take a vaccine, 87,000 more IRS agents, that is, you're going to be hell-bent on getting everybody you know to go out and vote for Republicans to change the direction of this country. We have got to change the direction of this country. We cannot continue the path we're going down that Democrats and Joe Biden want to take us down, and Warnock's part of that. Yeah, he certainly is with mm-hmm. a 98% vote with the Biden agenda uh, record. We definitely wouldn't see that out of Herschel Walker. I also want to remind everybody, you know, you, you start talking about the narrative of the Democrats getting a 51st Senate seat, therefore current Vice President Kamala Harris no longer having to be the tiebreaker. Um, one of the biggest and most concerning things to me is how fast they'd be able to streamline the judiciary approval process for a lot of these lower circuit circuit judges that would be getting onto the bench now without, uh, you know, a 50, 50 Senate. So, and remember when it, when it comes into, into regards with America last policies or policies that don't best reflect the will of the American people that may make it through the house in the future, it's no longer whipping Joe Manchin and or Kristen Cinema. It's now you're dealing with a, an absolute majority. So they're just going to have, you know, 51 votes for the Biden bill. Therefore, it'll get passed. So definitely need to go out and uh, cast your vote if you live in the state of Georgia. And obviously, we're going to be tracking this moving forward. Someone who, uh, well, I'd like to have on the campaign trail with me and someone that's been with Herschel Walker in addition to people like Lindsey Graham since the beginning, is uh, Senator John Kennedy. He was stumping for the former NFL star hard yesterday. Let's hear him as he's talking about, well, the election and things he doesn't like to eat. High IQ stupid people, they're easy to recognize. (laughs) They hate George Washington. They hate Thomas Jefferson. (laughs) They hate Dr. Zeus, and they hate Mr. Potato Head. These woke, high IQ stupid people, they walk around, they walk around with Ziploc bags of kale (laughs) that they can eat to give them energy. Now, if you want to eat kale, that's up to you. I don't eat kale. Do you know why? Because kale tastes to me like I'd rather be fat. (laughs) And these... 
high-IQ stupid people, the wokers in charge in Washington, D.C., the berserk wing of the Democratic Party, they hyperventilate on their yoga mats if, if you use the wrong pronoun. They're all over Washington, D.C. Mm. How dare he? <laughs> That's our favorite national treasure. <laughs> I did see Herschel was on with Maria yesterday, and as we're getting ready to close out our coverage of the Georgia Senate runoff here, I just want to keep in mind that, uh, you know, he's made he's made a good pitch. Uh, he, he's been heavily courted by Congress for over a decade, and a lot of people have tried to spin this into everything with things he's done in the past or mental health hurdles that he's overcome all the way up to he's just like, you know, a dumb gump who doesn't belong in Congress. The vote totals in the primary definitely discredited that, in addition to the fact that we're having a runoff election today also adds to the credit of the candidate caliber of Herschel Walker as well. Let's hear him make his final pitch uh, with Marie on Fox Business Let's yesterday. your reaction. Well, I'm so happy that he, uh, he did that because I said if uh, they did a mandate like this, I thought it was treason. When you can leave uh, America unsafe, our military is our strength, and I believe in there's uh, strength through peace. And I think because of Joe Biden and Raphael Warnock, we lost our strength around the world. And I'm so glad that uh, that uh, uh, Congressman McCarthy did something like that because we got to have all the strength. But you see how they try to suppress everything that the people on the right is doing. That's the reason I tell people you got to get involved. This is about the people of Georgia, about the people of the United States of America. We got to get the government out because this is we the people, not we the government. And of course, he's talking about what seems to be a big W for Kevin McCarthy, the Rumors that came out yesterday, although not official yet, that Joe Biden would be lifting the vaccine mandate for all members of the military. We don't know if that's going to include reinstatement for those who have been fired so far. We don't know if that blankets over into places like federal agencies, namely the Department of Homeland Security, etc. So we'll have to see as the weeks move on and appropriations become more important to appropriate in regards to running the federal government in the new year. However, it does seem a lot of indications are that Kevin McCarthy has been able to twist the arm of Joe Biden hard enough to get him to lift these mandates. There are other races that we're, we're focusing on, not at the congressional level or, or for state seats, but Republican leadership. And, uh, you know, it's become a four-way race uh, for the RNC chair, one that's currently occupied by Ronna McDaniel. Um, a lot of people were displeased with the performance over the course of the three election cycles that she's overseen the chair, uh, since she was elevated there from the Michigan GOP chair following President Trump's win in the state back in 2016. Ronna was on Fox News Today with John Roberts, and she was making her pitch after other candidates, namely Mike Lindell, uh, RNC attorney Harmeet Dillon, and current congressman and former gubernatorial candidate from New York, Lee Zeldin, have all but indicated they're throwing their names in the ring. Lee Zeldin did say he was going to wait until tomorrow, which would be December 7th, to make an official announcement because he's focused on the Herschel Walker uh, Senate race. But let's hear Ronna McDaniel as we start to unpack all the candidates here. Speaking of votes, uh, in a letter this morning, RNC members apparently have 107 votes for you to be back as, as chairwoman. Uh, unless something crazy happens, that means you've pretty much got a lock on it. But you are getting challenged by Lee Zeldin, who, of course, ran for uh, governor in New York State, and Harmeet Dillon 
as well. Uh, Zeldin's going to announce tomorrow whether or not he'll challenge you, though it may appear moot at this point based mm -hmm. on the letter. But here's what Bill Palatucci, an RNC delegate from New Jersey, said about your current chairmanship. And I'm sorry for having an uncomfortable okay. conversation yeah, with you for. sitting right beside me. But he said, quote, I'm tired of losing. Oof. The number one job of the RNC chair is to win. We didn't do well in 2020. We didn't do well in 2022. You've got to fire the manager when the ball club doesn't win. What do you say to that? Yeah, Makes I, sense. I think that's mm -hmm. an unfair assessment of what the RNC's done. I'm really oh. proud of the fact that we did turn out four million more voters. If you look at the community centers, which is a change that I've instituted where we've been in black and Hispanic and Asian communities, you look at candidates like Juan Siscomani and Monica De La Cruz, change agents in our party, but investment early. You know, the RNC builds the road and the cars drive on it. That's the candidates. We don't pick the cars. The voters do. So but you, you need both to get to your destination. You need a really strong campaign and strong consultants. But I think the RNC has built an incredible road. We are getting the vote out. How do you explain four million more voters going out in this election? And we also did take back the House. So to your point, that you build the road, you don't pick the cars. Did we you don't. get did you get the cars that you wanted? In this the voters election? chose the cars. And I know all the candidates and I'm not gonna candidate bash. This is about moving forward, but I will say this. The amount of ticket splitting we've seen in this election, where one candidate won statewide, New Hampshire, Wisconsin, Arizona, Georgia. Why did you vote for this Republican and not the other? Because in every single battleground state, a Republican won, and the RNC turned out the vote. But why did they vote for one and not the other? And that's the sweet spot. And Republicans not voting for Republicans is a key issue. We saw, we saw in Arizona with Carrie Lake, and we're seeing it in Georgia right now with those Kemp voters that didn't vote for Herschel. Yeah, I mean, there were no question there was a lot of ticket splitters back so then. So we got to start coming together, guys, because so, the Democrats are worse. So let's stop bashing each other, and let's remember we only are going to win as a united party in 2024. All right, so if the vote goes as expected, you'll be back as RNC chair for the 2024 election. What are you going to do differently for 2024 cycle than you did in 2022 in terms of getting the cars you want on the track that you built? Well, I do think the changes we've made since I've been chair, especially these first two years, because we had the White House the first four, but this has really been my time to, to do these changes. Voter registration, mm -hmm. these community centers, the outreach, uh, continuing to do election integrity. Because the Democrats are masters at collecting ballots. Yeah, and we did that too in California. I mean, listen, we just flipped Duarte because we did ballot harvesting. Montana, we did ballot harvesting. There's a lot of miscommunication, and a big part of it is looking at and assessing Dobbs was a big factor. The youth vote, we're not on TikTok. But Molly Hemingway sat in that very chair and said, the Democrats beat us all the time in terms of collecting ballots. Well, yep. I don't know if I agree with that. I mean, if you look at California, where we just kept four seats that we lost in 2018, you look at Michelle Steele, Young Kim, Valadeo, Garcia, and then also this Duarte win, we were the ones who perfected ballot harvesting. We're doing it in the states where it's legal. Now, some states it's not legal, and the RNC is not mm -hmm. going to do it. If it's against sure, the law, I'm not going to ballot harvest. But what we do need is our voters need to vote early. I have said this over and over again. There were many in 2020 saying, don't vote by mail, don't vote early. And we have to stop that and understand that if Democrats are getting ballots in for a month, we can't expect to get it all done in one day. Right. You wouldn't feed your family in a one day of harvesting. We've got to be doing the whole month like they are. Yeah, you got to change the paradigm. Yep. Rada, great to see you. Thank, Thank you. you. So much. All right, Noah, that's, that's, you know, at the very least, a big pitch there. What do you think? I, I, <clears throat> I'm hesitant to get behind the ballot harvesting thing just because of the negativity that goes along with it and just how shady it seems, but we don't really have any choice. Like we're going to have to jump on the same bandwagon that 
the other team's doing if that's going to be the case. At the very least, early vote? Yeah. I mean, it's a lose-lose either way when you, when it comes down to like them being able to counter what we're doing. Sure. So if we want to vote same day, they fuck up the machines. If we want to vote early, then they can count all the early votes and know exactly how much to inject into the system. So, I mean, <laughs> I, I don't really know what the solution is. I just feel like not not to the point where I want to give up on it, but I know there's a lot of people that are there. Yeah, I, I definitely think we need to change the way we do it. And uh, a couple of the other things I heard her laying out as part of, you know, her, her case right there. She talked about how impactful consultants were. But everyone from the former Trump administration and, and, and candidates we had on this show said the consultants were, you know, some of the biggest problems with the midterm elections. They were collecting paychecks to not do the things they needed, especially in the close races, like Cash Patel referenced the Adam Laxalt. Mm-hmm. You know, so that's a concern. And then she talked about candidate quality, not having the cars to that she wanted to drive on the road that she built and, and her kind of passing the buck in regards to candidate quality. But if someone sits as the, the GOP chair, you, you are going to have to tell people at some point, have those tough discussions with Mitch McConnell and possibly Kevin McCarthy in the future. Like, listen, if there's two candidates who are going to run a tough primary against each other, if you completely destroy the way you did in 2022, this, the candidates in 2024, you're going to disenfranchise a lot of those voters who just, like they said, split the ticket. They'll go out and vote for a governor or a senator, but not a House seat or a House seat, not a governor or a senator. And uh, it, it's part of the thing we saw. How, do, how does Brian Kemp beat Stacey Abrams by 11 points and Herschel Walker's in a runoff today? If you would have got... Well, I kind of feel like there's a little shadiness going on in some of those, but... Yeah, we, we've heard that as well. Uh, like I mentioned, he, he all but has announced, but hasn't made it official and won't until tomorrow. Here's former gubernatorial candidate, current House member, Lee Zeldin, talking about the importance of change uh, yesterday. Good to see you. I mean, you shocked the political establishment in New York. Uh, your email, is that your, uh, your, your plan, your template for the uh, GOP to go on a success? I think it's really important as we look forward that Republicans are not just saying what we're against. Joe Biden, there's plenty to criticize. Uh, Democratic Party policies, plenty to criticize. But what do we stand for? If you want to create a movement, the movement is based on uh, telling people what they're investing in, what they're getting by electing a Republican president, a Republican Congress. Uh, that's how you get that next level of energy and enthusiasm. And to that point about going to blue areas, now listen, if you're trying to compete in Pennsylvania, for example, you could say, well, we're not going to go into Philadelphia because we're going to get creamed there. So we're just going to go everywhere else. But what we need to better understand is, is that these media markets, like the Philadelphia media market and plenty of others, obviously New York City, the, the people who are getting the news in the suburbs, they care about that city. They care about those issues. You can drive what the earned media is about. Uh, and I'll tell you that there are a whole lot of Democratic voters who, when you show up, say, wow, we've been waiting a really long time for you to be here. They're, they're ready to hear our message. And there are a lot of people who are ticket splitters or maybe even lifelong Democrats who are ready to try something different. Hmm. I wouldn't want to live in shit forever. I mean, we do live in California. True story. Um, I did see today in, in Philadelphia some some gas stations that have incurred overspills of the crime wave have hired armed security. Wait, what? Yeah. <laughs> to defend their property. Wow. Yeah. 
private militias to defend their property. Um, pretty interesting. So I hope they do the Wawa's next because what's happened to them has been an absolute travesty. So we've already talked about the candidates. The newest one to announce uh, jumped on with Tucker Carlson last night. That's Harmeet Dillon. She's currently, well, she has the Dillon Law Group, which is her private firm. She's also an RNC lawyer, so she kind of knows the ins and outs. Let's hear her talk about why she's running for the RNC chair and what needs to change. ...didn't do as well in the midterms as expected, and so it's fair to ask, well, whose fault is that? Hmm. Uh, and a lot of people are asking that. You may have seen reports on a potential challenge to the current leadership of the Republican National Committee, and those reports suggest that our friend, frequent guest in the show, Harmeet Dillon, is considering a run against Ronna Romney McDaniel as chair of the RNC. Is that true? Well, no one would know better than Harmeet Dillon herself, chairman of the Republican National Lawyers Association, who joins us now. Harmeet, thanks so much for coming on. Is it true that you plan to run for RNC chair? She also makes her own sweaters. Well, Tucker, I'm going to announce tonight that actually I huh. am going to run for RNC chair. And the reason is that, you know, to play off of a famous catchphrase, Republicans are tired of losing. And I think that we really need to radically reshape our leadership in order to win. And we can't keep running elections like we did in the 90s and the 2000s. And we really have to modernize to compete with the Democrats dollar for dollar in the ways they fundraise, the way they deliver their ballots to the ballot boxes. Our messaging needs to be fresh and positive and not just reactive to news cycles and what the Democrats are doing. And I think that the party needs to realize that the party has become a populist party. The base of the party demands populist messages that speak to them and not Chamber of Commerce messages, not neocon messages, not warmonger messages. And I'm afraid that the base of our party is not getting what it needs from our leadership. And so after three successive rounds of really disappointing results, Tucker, I'm a member of the RNC and no other member is stepping up to challenge leadership. And our current leadership has never been challenged for the chair job. And I think that challenge and competition is very good. And so I'm hoping to gain the support of grassroots Americans who do not like the direction of the party and its leadership. They need to contact the 168 members of the RNC in their states and territories and tell them that they, too, want change. And I think that change is popular among the base. I hear from thousands of Americans on a weekly basis about that. They want to see us fighting. Tucker, you know, as well as anybody else, that I'm a fighter. Yes, and I you fight are. <laughs> every waking hour of the day. And that's what we need right now. And so that's me. I'm offering to take a giant, um, you know, step back from my law firm and my Pay nonprofit <laughs> to do this. Yeah. It's a big sacrifice. But I think it's important for our country that I love so much as a first generation immigrant. I love it. I love it. I can vouch for your toughness. It's absolutely real and much needed. Godspeed. Harmeet Dillon, we're rooting for you. Thank you. Now, you know, I'm going to be the only one to say this, first person to say it, because I bounced it off somebody yesterday and I thought it was pretty eye-opening. We, we've become so used to getting conditioned to be set up to be sad, <laughs> uh, especially over the course of the last four years. And I don't want anybody to start romanticizing these candidates. They all, at least Zeldin and Dylan, they bring a lot to the table. Um They've both done pretty good jobs in their respective areas. But, you know, you also have to look at the concerns. There is a delegation that suggested that Lee Zeldin might be a DeSantis bro. 
part of that to me is concerning, but if he's willing to go in there and do the absolute job that he did in New York for the rest of the country and support whatever candidate ultimately becomes the nominee for the president on the Republican side, can't really hold too much against him. The uh, same thing with Harmeet Dillon. So you heard her say that she's already a member of the RNC. And just hear me out. So Ronna McDaniel, with a win to retain her chairship this year, would make her the longest standing RNC chair ever. GOP chairwoman. Um, she's the longest to hold the seat for three cycles in, I believe, 100 years. So... Rana knows that her time is short regardless. If she gets through this time, it'll for surely be her last. But because of their already established relationship and how nice Harmeet comes off and saying what she's giving as a critique of Rana, just be aware that the, of the possibility of a bait and switch. Rana knows that her time as chair wouldn't go much past this time if she wins it anyways. So why wouldn't she allow Harmeet Dillon to go in there and convince the vendors and the voters and the consultants and the people that have a vote to vote in Harmeet so she could just slide out of one position into another? Mm. It, it, it's something that we... Listen, I, I hope whoever gets in there does the job that they're supposed to do. Obviously, we've we've seen Ronald McDaniel not be able to do it. And the prospectus of Lee Zeldin or Harmeet Dillon both look a lot better. But we've just been disappointed so many. I don't want to see the GOP chair flip and then we're in 2024 and I have all of these anonymous accounts on Twitter who go out there and break down the numbers better than anybody being like, look at where we're not early voting. Look at where we're not ballot harvesting. Look at how much these candidates are getting outspent by the Democrats. Look at how much the establishment Republican leadership are spending to defeat our own candidates in elections again. Because that's all part of the things that need to change as well. Kevin McCarthy weighed in and uh, threw his endorsement out there. Probably won't surprise anybody, but let's hear him uh, talk on the Botox Queen show last night. And I've been getting pinged by this all day. Is this uh, RNC leadership question? Because mm -hmm. a lot of Republicans are worried because they think, you know, they're glad they won the House and a couple more seats look like they're picked up. We're going to talk to John Duarte in a we, minute. We but who, in California who, are, again. who do you think now should take over as RNC chair? We, uh, like Ronna McDaniel a lot, personally. I think she's she's a great person. I like her. Harmeet Dillon is a young California, female, think, yeah. California, uh, obviously Indian-American. Look, What's I like thought? Harmeet. She, she's my national commitment. I think she does a tremendous job. But I think Ronna did a tremendous job, too. Look. Would you look across the country? You don't think every, we need change? Every Republican entity lost except the House. I've been leader for four years. We've won every single time. What about early voting for those Senate races? She could have helped on that, right? Mm -hmm. I've watched her down doing it. The one thing I see happening, the Senate lost, the, the governors lost, the president lost. But the House has won in both cycles. Even the, We picked up in California. We picked up in Oregon. We picked up in New York. We, we won five seats that Biden won by more than 10 points. We beat the DCCC chair. That hasn't happened in 42 years. I think the quality of the candidate matters. We could have done better in Pennsylvania with a better governor candidate there. It cost us a thing. Mm. But look, I saw the resources there. I saw the engagement in there. And the RNC is a small group of individuals, a committee men yeah. and committee women. I think, think they've got to look at Hmm. Well, kind of a passage of the book. Yeah. And he's not going to run off of a loss in his attempt to become Speaker of the House.
So even though everybody around him didn't do well, he did pick up uh, minute wins in, in places like, man, they are so fucking lucky for New York and California. Right. It's interesting. I, I said we weren't going to touch on, on 2024, but there was a funny one yesterday. Uh, best Ned Flanders impersonator mm. and keeper of the bristliest, bristliest mustache in the Beltway. Hmm. God of the neocons. John Bolton weighed in on, well, he's he's hacking his new book. So he wants everybody to buy it and, and read all the fake stories he made up against Donald Trump, but also teased that he might be looking to get onto a little bit bigger stage. Some news there. You are essentially telling us that you would consider getting into the 2024 race. Oh, Absolutely. I, I, think, I think to be a presidential candidate, you can't simply say, I support the Constitution. You have to say, I would oppose people who would undercut it. You know, we used to have a thing in the House of Representatives called the House Un-American Affairs Committee. I think when you challenge the Constitution itself the way Trump has done, that is un-American. Let's stay here for a moment. Just walk me through your thinking. What does your timeline look like? What would cause you to cross into saying what you're saying now and actually being a declared candidate for president? Look, all of the potential candidates know what Trump has said. This is no secret to anybody. I don't see why they aren't saying it right now. I, I think the, the voters, the Republican voters, people who choose the Republican nominee, nearly 95 percent disagree that Donald Trump is more important than the Constitution. I'm afraid there are some who would stick with Trump on this. What does a candidate have to lose by appealing to 95% of the base of the Republican Party? Mm. I actually think most Republican elected officials in Washington disagree with Trump mm. on this, but they're intimidated. This is the time where there's strength in numbers. The more people who tell the truth, the easier it is for everybody else. So what do you have to see that would make you say, now is the moment that I am going to declare my candidacy? I'd like to see Sherman-esque statements from all the potential candidates. If I don't see that, then I'm going to seriously consider getting in. And what is your timeline, Ambassador Bolton? Well, I think it's going to have to be pretty short. We've already got one declared candidate for president in the Republican Party who doesn't believe in the Constitution. This is serious business. <sighs> oh, shut up. This is, again, coming from the guy who made up the Russian bounties yeah. in Afghanistan and also was found out to be lying about saying when President Trump couldn't drive to, like, the World War II Survivors Memorial out there due to inclement weather said that uh, Donald Trump referred to them as losers because their bodies didn't make it back to get buried in the United States. It was also found out to be false. That's going back to the garage days. Yeah, that's... What a shitty thing to lie about. Yeah. Horrible. So he wants to start wars and then have a president delegitimized for commenting on other ones. Couldn't imagine how great that presidency would go Mm. to... John Kerry and George Bush did the fusion dance. Could it be worse than this one? Good point. And even though there's a lot of stuff unfolding within leadership of the Republican Party, we're going to switch gears a little bit and talk about some of the uh, larger tech issues that are concerning to Republicans as well. All right, coming in now on the show, he works in tech policy at the Heritage Foundation. He's back to talk about a slate of topics with us. We're extremely happy to have back Mr. Jake Denton. Thanks for joining us today on the show. Absolutely. Thank you for having me back. How's everything going with you? Hopefully uh, you had a nice Thanksgiving and obviously the news cycle and the busyness of everything didn't really slow down over the course of it like it historically does. But uh, we're glad to have you back to talk about it all. 
Yeah, Thanksgiving was great. Got back out west, saw a little snow, and then, uh, you know, right back into the news cycle. Elon's keeping us busy. Yeah, he certainly is, and we're going to talk about all that in a little bit more. One of the things that's kind of like all-encompassing the whole situation with big tech and Elon and, and everything else that's going on is, is Apple. We all know about its close ties to China. Um, we, we did hear over the course throughout like the last couple weeks heading into Thanksgiving and then the beginning of December, there was rumors that Apple was getting ready to penalize Elon Musk and Twitter, maybe even drop them from the App Store. So Eli did what what most completely spoiled brat billionaires do. He hopped on his private jet and flew out to California and met with the Apple CEO who said it was kind of just internet rumors and hearsay. But uh, what do you think when, when, when the hand that controls Apple isn't really the people that work in the United States, it's the people that you know, run the CCP and are in China. How do you think this narrative can continue to shape as we move forward? Yeah, honestly, it's quite impressive how Apple's just managed to evade all public scrutiny, both from lawmakers and the media for years here. It's really a testament to their uh, press team, their government relations folks. But I mean, for years now, we've seen that China, you know, does the bidding of the CCP. They're always eager to go as far as they can to help the Chinese Communist Party. Uh, you know, we just had them remove airdrop, you know, basically the same timeline here um, for the the Elon delisting, the Twitter delisting uh, and the CCP as the pro protests are breaking out against the Chinese Communist Party. So, you know, while here in the U.S. we're looking to restrict free speech, you know, stop the movement of the people, they're doing the same thing over there in China. Um, then you also, you know, for years here, I've seen them do similar things with protesters. They removed uh, the protesting app the Hong Kong protesters were using to organize in 2019. And, uh, you know, they got rid of VPN access for a lot of the, uh, the apps listed on the App Store. Um, so just across the board, I think it's really a it's shocking how they've just managed to avoid all public scrutiny. Um, and, you know, Elon did a good job in going to uh, the Cupertino area and, you know, cozying up to Tim Cook and kind of getting out of that predicament, but it still exists for all other app makers. You know, we saw Parler go through the same thing a couple of years ago. You know, you can't forget about that. So uh, the problem still exists. Twitter may be safe, but uh, everyone won't be as lucky. Yeah. You know, you make a good point there. And uh, we have a, you know, one of the most popular app, uh, CEOs on our show on a regular basis, Mr. Devin Nunes, who's working over at True Social. And he said the biggest problem with the rollout that they've had and expanding it in addition to like their patches and app updates is the slow walk that Apple and the Google Play Store had used to uh, allow their app on the platform. And, you know, they True Social would push back constantly and say, we, we know you keep saying this stuff in the news, but at the end of the day, you're just going to let it on the store. And, and that's eventually what happens. But it's been in some cases, months later than they had had as part of their business plan. Yeah, you see all sorts of really interesting anti-competitive practices from Apple when it comes to the App Store. Uh, Telegram, another very popular kind of alternative platform that emerged while the Twitter regime was cracking the whip on people, um, regularly has their updates delayed. Uh, you know, the CEO will go on his Telegram channel and, uh, you know, say, look, we've had an update that completely changes the user experience, but Apple's supposedly been reviewing it uh, for security purposes for over two months. Mm. And that's just something they use, right? It's like, oh, well, we have to protect the consumers. There's nothing they're doing on the back end to protect consumers. Uh, we saw this summer that there were was over like I believe 20 malware applications yeah. on the Mac store uh, you know just the computer uh, sister platform to the iPhone um, and there's all sorts of we have TikTok on the app store right I mean they don't really care about security no uh, so across the board I mean they're just abusing developers how much does it worry you as someone who, who works in tech policy to see such big 
corporate entities in the United States. Obviously, you have all of the concerns with Congress. Uh, you mentioned TikTok. It was good to see, you know, people like Christy Noem at the forefront banning it from like, you know, government applications and, and, and phones there. But uh, it's a small step in the right direction, if you ask my opinion on it. But then you have things like you talk about Hollywood the NBA and in the amount of money that they're compromised by, even when there are people in the mainstream media who dare cross that line and ask them about it, they just immediately get shut down. Like it's not even a thing. Yeah. I mean, it's hard to find a sector now where China isn't, you know, interwoven into the interests, you know, the governing direction of the company uh, from tech, to, you know, sports, entertainment, everything. China has basically asserted itself here in the West as a major funder and, you know, putting money into these corporations and these projects comes with a lot of power. I think the first time I came on this show, we talked about Tencent, yeah. uh, you know, the Chinese video game company, and no one talks about that, but you can't find a video game these days. You know, Christmas season is approaching. You're buying gifts for your kids uh, that China hasn't heavily invested in. And, you know, while it may not be right off the surface evident, you know, how that impacts you, uh, it could be back-end data collection. It could be that the narrative of the story is just all propaganda um, across the board. I mean, they're just really waging, you know, complete and total warfare against the average American person, you know, these psyops, um, and you're just totally inept to them. You don't understand what's going on, um, so you're just a victim. Uh, we're just not doing a good enough job protecting ourselves. No, yeah. we certainly aren't. And China's, they're casting a wide net with everything that they're doing, too, because, you know, if you go through the app store, you buy something on Amazon or whatever, and it shows up to your door, and then, oh, you have to download an app to get this thing to work. Okay, great. And then you look at it, and there's absolutely no security uh, preferences whatsoever that you can access. So, yeah. And then you go to the Hill and you explain that to a congressman and they're just like, what are you talking about? Right. <laughs> they have no idea what you're, it's like, we're playing so much catch up here. Um, there's, we're really just behind the ball. Yeah. No, I mean, it is a huge concern and uh, definitely something that w was also concerning was, was last Friday's, you know, disclosure of uh, what Elon Musk decided to put on Twitter in regards to, the October surprise repression of the Hunter Biden laptop story and how that all went down behind the scenes. Um, what did you see? Is it surprising to you to see how of a coordinated, uh, I mean, we did our cold open and talked with cash Patel about it already today, but that's more of like a, you know, insider look. Now we're talking from like a tech angle. You have, you know, the CEO, the top two lawyers at Twitter kind of collaborating with the FBI, DHS, the DNI, leakers inside the White House at the time, which was the Trump White House, Congress members, big tech and the mainstream media to all kind of make something that was very real go away. And, and something that is, you know, coordinatedly we haven't seen probably ever. Um, uh, how alarming was that to see? And, and what's your kind of narrative on it now that, you know, a lot of it was stuff we already knew, but just the, the, the mass coordination of it. How surprising was that to you? Well, it was somewhat surreal to see it all laid out in front of us, right? I mean, a lot of these tech companies are aware that, you know, they're teetering on the legality line, right? And they do a lot to make sure that it never comes out. But they were so comfortable at Twitter, you know, doing all these bans and suppressing these stories that they're doing it in their corporate emails. There weren't these behind closed door meetings. There weren't these, you know, signal group chats that were, you know, set to delete in a week. Uh, they were just doing it out in the open because they knew no one was going to come and uh, crack the whip 
step or, you know, give the American people any form of justice. And so they were that level of, you know, uh, being comfortable and uh, just talking out in, in the open was really what was concerning for me. Uh, but it really doesn't do anything other than confirm what we already knew. Right. If you've been on Twitter for, you know, basically since the 2020 election, you felt these band waves, you've seen your friends disappear. Um, you know, these are just things that have been happening. And we often, you know, are gaslit into believing that we're crazy, uh, that these aren't disproportionately targeted towards conservatives. But we see it in real time now. We watch the timeline unfold, them figuring out how they can do these most effective band waves. And I'm sure there are more files that will come out that will just further prove the infrastructure they built. But uh, it really is it's reassuring, you know, that we actually were right. We saw that it was happening, but it's also terrifying because Twitter's not the only one. Uh, these are deeply entrenched systems. This is a corporate culture that's spread across Silicon Valley. Uh, you know, they're passionate about censorship and that's going to be really hard to basically get out of that, right? We're going to be stuck in this kind of infinite loop of deplatformings. No, you're, you're, you're correct there. And uh, it leads me into my next question. Now, Elon Musk, in regards to content moderations, we've seen highs and lows. We've seen a lot of accounts over the course of, uh, you know, Twitter's reign of nuking everything come back, the Babylon Bee, Project Veritas, some of the larger meme accounts, which are just as important sometimes as your newsmakers. In addition to that, we've seen Elon Musk present commentary on Alex Jones and, and possibly why he will never be allowed back to the platform. In addition to that, we saw the back and forth spat with him and uh, Kanye West last week. So when you talk about content moderation and, and you know, the possibility of it being fixed a little bit, but not to where it probably needs to be moving forward. What are you thinking in regards to what Elon Musk has done so far? Yeah, well, so everyone is asking this question, right? Is it better? Is it worse? And I think it's still the answer is it's too early to tell. Yeah. Um, so Elon came in with kind of this vision of all legal speech was going to be allowed on the platform. And we've already basically seen that that's not going to be the case. There are going to be uh, exceptions. Some people will still be deplatformed even if the speech is legal. Um, and so I think he's still kind of figuring it out. I think we were optimistic that he wouldn't be beholden to the corporate interests. But I mean, you don't go to Apple, cut a, some sort of deal and then all of a sudden they resume advertising without maybe, you know, bending a little bit on the, the moderation side of things. And so uh, I think it still probably will end up being a lot better than the other platforms and, you know, the previous Twitter that we all lived through. Uh, but I, I really don't think we're going to see this uh, free speech utopia where, you know, we're all able to, you know, voice our opinions without consequence. There will be a line um, and I think it will be enforced uh, similarly. I think we'll be banned. Um, the yay ban is interesting, right? Yeah. Because I mean, everyone's eyes were on it and, you know, say what you will about the content, but the way that it happened was, you know, particularly interesting. Uh, he was initially suspended for roughly 11 to 12 hours. Um, this is kind of the old way that Twitter did suspensions. Uh, they scale up. So you're suspended for, let's say, 11 hours, then a day, and then just keeps getting worse. And it ultimately resets. Uh, but Ye actually had his account, you know, essentially manually pushed to a permanent suspension. Um, and that's like a you know, say what you will, it's a very emotional way to do content moderation. It was reactive to the news cycle. Elon felt pressure um, and that affected the direction. Um, so then you kind of think that through the framing of Jan 6 and the way that the Trump account went down. Yeah. Um, it just, it leaves the door open to kind of the similar problems reoccurring. Um, so it's important we just, we don't put them on a pedestal. You know, we hold them to the same standard every other CEO has. No, it, it's certainly true, and, uh, you know, I, he's got it coming from all directions, like the advertising and the and the China influence then on Apple. Obviously, you've seen people, everyone from Joe Biden to the White House press secretary, prominent Democrats on the, on the congressional side say that they're going to be looking into, you know, 
Twitter and maybe congressional investigations, FEC investigations. We had Elizabeth Warren walk out of the halls of the Senate last week and say no one man should be in control of content moderation, you know, for an entire platform when that's pretty much we've put all these people on the pedestals over the years. You know, you had the guy who used to run Apple and then Bill Gates. You've had Elon Musk and people like Jack Dorsey. Mark Zuckerberg, and then we've romanticized with them in the mainstream media, and then Elon Musk comes in and does one thing they don't like, and now it's like, oh, no, this all has to stop. This all has to end. We can't have these people doing it. I just think it's really funny the way they're uh, reacting to it, and I'm sure, like I said, he's probably under a lot of pressure right now from a lot of different angles. I mean, he even said he's going to stop doing public appearances and signings forever now because he fears for his life. It's pretty fast how that's kind of spiraled, and uh, like you said, we'll just have to keep an eye on it and see where it goes. I did want to segue a little bit. One thing we kind of unpacked last Tuesday on our show with former acting U.S. Attorney General Matt Whitaker was the FTX scandal. Uh, Since then, we've seen this guy make a couple public appearances. He's had some really cringeworthy 60 Minutes interview. He did the New York Times uh, sponsored event and stuff like that. And basically, it sounds like a high school kid who got caught like stealing out of their parents' liquor cabinet when he's trying to explain how all these billions of dollars just kind of went away. Um, What do you expect to see on that front moving forward, especially after the new Congress and and the Republican House gets sworn in after the third of the year? Well, you know, he's fully on an underway on an apology tour. In many ways, it feels like a book tour, right? He's laying the foundations to this like saga. We'll get a Netflix series. But in terms of actual like substantive questions, when these interviewers get a chance, they're fairly insulting interviews, right? They just ask him, you know, emotional questions, nothing about the logistics. We have the, one of the largest financial criminals maybe ever uh, sitting across from, you know, a New York Times journalist. And the best we get is like, how are you doing? Right. And, you know, oh, I've had a really rough month is kind of like the direct quote and he gets a big applause um it's insulting right i mean we have millions and millions of folks that have lost their money uh you know the funds just disappear in a criminal fashion right that is recirculated over the dnc and these political causes and uh there's no urgency no one is you know uh, burning the castle down. No one is actually trying to bring the American people any type of justice. Uh, you know, these Congress people and many of them, I mean, Congressman Nels did a great job of, yeah. you know, leading the way there. But then, you know, find me another member who really even, you know, spent more than two days talking about this. Um, I just think it it really kind of exposes how uncomfortable a lot of these folks are with the big dollar donors and these special interests. They don't want to step on a, a landmine that could derail their election. Um, and so they just stay quiet. And, you know, in many ways, uh, our legislative process has been captured by these special corporate interests. We saw the antitrust package, I believe we talked about this before as well, get totally derailed by, you know, big tech lobbying efforts. Um, and then maybe we have this guy evade, you know, a serious prison sentence because he just donated to the right members. And if we really set that precedent, it's just going to snowball and get exponentially worse. Do you really believe that this is a isolated incident, that the whole FTX thing of, of, of things like this that happen, especially when it comes to like backdoor or backroom dealings and donations and stuff like this? Or do you think it's more widespread and, and kind of being, you know, shuffled under the rug right now to protect the people who are obviously getting millions and sometimes billions of dollars in regards to uh, campaign donan- donations and finances from it? Well, it's really hard to say if there's anything else going on at this scale, right? Because this just existed, you know, without us knowing until the the final hour, right? It just falls apart. And then everyone's like, oh my God, how do we not see this coming? Um, So maybe there are, you know, quite a few like this just right under our nose and we just don't see it. 
Um, but I think, you know, this kind of standard, whether it be, you know, uh, the FBI general counsel going to Twitter, Twitter getting away with all sorts of craziness, you know, sending dollars to the members to buy off, you know, then looking the other direction. This is just like a the new precedent for these tech companies in particular, where they abuse that kind of cozy uh, campaign contribution uh, kind of dynamic between these corporations or their employees and the business, whether you get preferential treatment on the platforms or really just, you know, a paid advertisement by um, they just basically are, are comfortable with one another. And that really results in consumers getting put in harm's way, uh, whether that means their dollars going the other direction, uh, these companies not investing in cybersecurity and your data being compromised and sold to China. Uh, we're always just found, you know, on the short end of the stick. We never have, you know, pro-consumer corporations. Uh, our congressmen, our, our legislators really just don't seem to care about the consumer. Um, and that's a culture change. We really need to stop, you know, fetishizing these uh, Silicon Valley companies and their bil- these billionaires and hold them to a human standard. Uh, take them off the pedestal as we were just talking and really make them accountable for what they're doing. Yeah, it's crazy. There's There's a lot of connections there that, you know, a lot of people missed. In addition to, uh, I saw that you tweeted today. The the SPF, uh, his brother worked for for Rep, and uh, I think we're going to see a lot more of this stuff uncovered. Uh, it's just depending on how much and how many people we're getting paid, as if we're going to see any justice off of it. I mean, just based off the cur- course of my life, s- schemes like this, Bernie Madoff comes to mind. Once kind of the black and white came out on what it was and what was going on with the money, he was in jail within, I believe, forty eight hours. Um, and uh, we see this guy living in that enormous mansion in the Bahamas right now, uh, like you said, on the apology tour. And uh, it's just interesting to see how the times have changed and how this is all working out. Jake, we're going to have you back closer to uh, the first of the year. I think uh, the show right before Christmas is when you're scheduled to come back. I'm pretty sure we'll have a ton of stuff to talk about as we did today. We love having you on. For everyone that's not following you on social media, we'll live link that in the Heritage Foundation in our show description today for you. Great. And wishing, you know, all the listeners very Merry Christmas and I'll see you guys after the holiday. Sounds absolutely perfect. This is our favorite tech policy guy who works at the Heritage Foundation, Mr. Jake Denton. Thanks for coming back on the show. Absolutely. Thanks for having me. If the president is not going to make time to visit the border during his trip to tomorrow, during his trip tomorrow to a border state, will he do it in, in uh, New Year? Look, I addressed this last week about the president visiting the border. I'm not going to go beyond what I just laid out. I think, and we believe, the question again, as I was uh, just answering to your colleague in the back, uh, is that uh, what are congressional Republicans going to do to actually deal with this issue? Uh, Instead of doing political stunts, uh, many of the political stunts that hurt families, that hurt kids, oh, that hurt children, right? that hurt people who are who are coming here uh, to try to uh, seek asylum, um, leaving a, a uh, you know, leaving a dictatorship instead of going to the border and talking about, uh, you know, about uh, things that not going to actually deliver. Uh, and keep our border safe, why don't they work with us? Why don't they actually do something? Why don't they actually, uh, you know, help the president uh, get the funding that that he requested, his funding, in. To, uh, mm. into Homeland, into the Department of Homeland Security? Uh, that's one way of doing that. Uh, but again, they're playing political games and doing political stunts. Mm. The, the funding to pay people to not do their jobs and do somebody else's job, well, not, it's not even somebody else's job. Do a job that we shouldn't be doing, right? Mm-hmm. That's like the 
the whole deal. Mm-hmm. Very funny how that works. <sighs> I do see some breaking news coming across the wire. Everybody's kind of freaking out about it. It's like Trump business something convicted of tax fraud. Long story short, I, I pulled it up because all the tweets give no context. It says jury finds Trump organization guilty in tra- tax fraud trial. Um, and the meat and potatoes of it, I mean, we'll, we'll probably talk about it more moving forward, but it's just not in the cards for today's show. The Trump organization pleaded not guilty and said that it's former CFO, Alan Seisselberger. <laughs> no one likes that name. Single-handedly carried out the scheme to benefit himself. Uh, before deliberations began on Monday, Justice Juan Merchan instructed them that the companies only are responsible for the criminal actions taken by executive as long as the acts did not solely benefit its said execs. So as an all-star cast of names. Yeah. Uh, Noah giggled. <laughs> I like it. But uh, Trump's not convicted of anything. It's somebody within one of his companies. It was and obviously a burglar. Burglar. <laughs> and uh, they, they were, you know, trying to line their own pockets with Trump bucks. So that's what I'm seeing off top. But sticking on the border, I did see to, uh, you know, Joe Biden is on the way to Arizona today to congratulate Katie Hobbs in her gubernatorial win, loss, and mm. also was asked by reporters, it was like a three-second soundbite, so I didn't pull it. Peter Ducey asked him, if you're not going to Arizona to visit the border, then what are you going to the border for? And he said, because there's more important things to do. Joe Biden is touring a Chinese chip manufacturing plant that's going to be inside the United States in Maricopa County and operated all by Chinese people. So he is not bringing. Well, he's not lying. It is more important to him. True story. But he's not bringing jobs back to the United States. He's not bringing manufacturing back to the United States. Let's hear. Chip Roy of Texas, one of our favorite firebrands, weigh in on it uh, when asked about Joe Biden's remarks. It sure is uh, something that's pretty critically important to the people of Texas and, frankly, to the immigrants that are getting abused and dying, 53 in a tractor trailer in San Antonio, uh, getting raped in stash houses in South Texas. Or how about the 72,000 people who died from fentanyl last year? Uh, The moms that I have to talk to every day who's lost a loved one because fentanyl's pouring into our border because he refuses to secure the southern border. We all know the truth. He, Mayorkas, they're all teaming up to endanger Americans. Uh, and, uh, you know, poking his head in the sand isn't going to actually be enough. Mr. He's going to have to do something about it. And he certainly has, or he's going to be held accountable after the third of the year. Um, I don't know. I just hope this all comes down hard on Mayorkas. He has done such an awful job there and uh, has really turned that into a disaster. Speaking of which, Commerce Secretary Gina uh, Raimondo was on CNN fake news this weekend. She did the Sunday morning circuit and was talking about re-election campaigns involving old kid sniffers. Let's hear. Do this. If um, President Biden were to announce that he is not going to run for re-election in 2024, lots of people think you would be an ideal candidate uh, to be the Democratic Party's nominee. Would you be willing to step in if he said that he were not uh, if she, he were not running, like would you run like for the feet. nomination? Mm, yeah. No, or that soup. is not my plan. That is not what I will do. By the way, he, I believe he is going to run, and I, and I so hope that he does. I think he's doing an extraordinary job uniting not only this country, but, but our relationships with our allies. So uh, I'm all in with him. All in with him. With him. How does that make you feel, Noah? I don't know. They're fucking rhyming is getting 
to be a little tedious. You heard about Michael Avenatti? No. Remember former Stormy Daniels? Oh, right, right, right. right. Yeah, uh, who everyone propped up as a potential candidate for president. Stormy Daniels? I'm joking. He was sentenced to 14 years in federal prison. Oh, that's right. Yeah, he got hosed. Sure did. Well-deserved hosing. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, the Joe Biden quote about the border was, why go to a border state and not visit the border? That's the question from Ducey Biden, because there are more important things going on in that state. Like what? Chinese chip manufacturing companies, factories. You know what? He probably thinks it's chocolate chocolate chips. Oh, that's true. I didn't even think about that. The ice cream. I'm going to have to rewrite the whole show. Good thing we're we're not almost finished. <laughs> oh, boy. It, no, it, you know what? It's been a busy day and a busy news cycle. And, you know, as we're wrapping up here, I do have one more audio clip. So what happens is a lot of times people will go to Congress, uh, you know, CEOs or owners of mega corporations. And, and what they essentially want is Congress to bail them out because times are tough. Uh, it doesn't matter if you made bad business decision over the you know way you conduct your business. They just want government bailouts. So the fact of the matter, I believe it was Kroger Markets, which is a national chain. They were up ca- crying on Capitol Hill this morning, um, you know, talking about how they need government bailouts because they weren't prepared for Bidenflation. And even though they're completely 100% union-backed riding with Biden— They want a bipartisan Congress to grant them money to save their company from bankruptcy. So in our last audio clip of the day, and probably the most base clip we've heard on here in a while, here's Arkansas Senator Tom Cotton talking about it. The situation big tech companies have found themselves in in recent years. They've come to Washington because they fear regulation from our Democratic friends or action by the Biden administration, and they expect Republicans who are traditionally more supportive of free enterprise to come to their defense. And I've cautioned them for years that if they silence uh, conservatives and center-right voters across the country, if they discriminate against them in their company, they probably shouldn't come and ask Republican senators to carry the water for them whenever our Democratic friends want to regulate them or block their mergers. So I've heard a lot a lot of questioning about that today, and I've read a lot about it in the news. Um, and I'll say this. I'm sorry that's happening to you. Best of luck. <laughs> Jeez. No, I don't always like what Tom Cotton does, but sometimes he'll surprise us a little bit. You know, it's one of those things. And what, what he's referring to, and, and let me just unpack it a little bit more, is when, when companies go woke. They go broke. They certainly do, and but these companies all just don't disappear because they go up to Congress and, and beg for money to save them. In their yeah, bed. so we fucked up. Yep. Everybody left yep. and burned our shit, and now we're broke. So can we have some money, please, sir? Save us, Mr. Cotton. That's just a, that's a shit show. But the best part about it is is what he said, um, which is exactly why, you know, we need to – Stay on top of this stuff because if you didn't care, you didn't know what what Kroger's markets narrative is regarding, you know, candidates, probably donations, funding and whatnot. You're never going to know when they come up with a Oh, yeah, it's just a lowly supermarket chain. How bad could they be? Mm. 
millions of dollars donated to the DNC. And, uh, you know, it's why you usually need good lawyers. So since they've been a uh, common practice on Steak for Breakfast, as far as guest appearances go, why not jump right over and see if we've got another one we could chat with. All right, joining us next on the show today is a former attorney in the Trump White House. He's coming back on the show probably to provide a little bit of hot commentary. Andrew Coster, thanks for coming back on with us. Thanks so much for having me again. It's our pleasure. How's everything going in your neck of the woods, sir? It's great. I'm uh, I'm in D.C. It's sort of gala and, you know, holiday party seasons. So my evenings are sort of taken, but it's a, it's a fun time and Christmas is coming up. So I'm excited. Life is good. My work is doing great. Everything everything seems to be good. We got the, the house. I'm just, I'm excited for the new year. Yeah, we're going to get into all of that. There's been a bunch of news coming out since late last week. Did you, uh, well, s- someone who's an attorney and, and, and you know, worked in, in levels as high as the White House in the past, when you saw some of the things that came out from the Twitter transparency drop last Friday, a lot of the stuff was obviously common knowledge to probably all present parties, but there was some connecting of the dots and physical receipts. How did you... Uh, take that off first read, seeing it kind of get dropped over the weekend on, on social media. Well, I'm a very practical guy and I always worry if I'm too online, because like you said, yeah, of course, a lot of it was old news to me. Um, so to me, the practical question is what's going to happen with all of this. And I know like, I'm very concerned about, you know, incoming house leadership. I know, uh, you know, Jim Jordan and others have, have very little interest in talking about some of this stuff. So we'll see. I hope, I hope they go hard on it. I think the base certainly wants it. I think you can fundraise off of it. And I actually think the story is not about nude photos. I think the story is all about, you know, kickbacks and, and Biden actually being on the take as well. So I sort of hope that that gets some play. I'm not, I'm not holding my breath though. Yeah. It's pretty funny during the uh, presidential election cycle of 2020, the mainstream media wanted to talk about how, you know, the, uh, the contents of the laptop, the the Biden business deals and whatever, you know, everybody from the mainstream media, print press, Chris Wallace during a presidential debate, 60 minutes interviews, all said, you know, this isn't this isn't anything. But now over the course of the weekend, everybody just wanted to talk about how, you know, Hunter Biden's talents included licking and sticking Skittles to his wiener. So it's funny how they kind of skew the narrative and, and bend it to the reality that they want to live in. But the fact of the matter is. We did see a lot of coordination between, you know, everyone from leakers in the White House all the way up to the highest intelligent agencies in the United States, big tech and the mainstream media with with physical receipts. Even people on both sides of the aisle of Congress were involved in that. Yeah, I thought it was pretty interesting to see how many people had their hands in it and how free and open it was to not use any kind of like they weren't using WhatsApp. They weren't using burner phones. They were just government email straight to, to Twitter executives. Yeah. And so, I mean, another practical question for me is, I mean, this looks a lot uh, and, you know, I've worked some in campaign finance. I'm not, I, you know, I think there are big first amendment and other, other concerns here, but I mean, it sure looks like a big in-kind donation from Twitter to the, to the Biden campaign as well. And I'd be curious, you know, if the Trump campaign or others file any kind of complaints and where those go, I don't think they'd go anywhere, but I mean, it looks like, yeah, it was like, it was a kind of a collusion. It was on behalf of a candidate it, it had value. I mean, that kind of thing, you know, is normally reportable. I mean, if the, if the Biden campaign called up, you know, the New York Times, or if the Trump campaign had called up Fox and said, you know, please get an agreement with me, you know, in writing, respond to this email agreeing to never cover anything negative on my campaign, you know, that'd be a huge deal. And I think that's kind of what we had here. So with that and with, um, 
you know, the legacy media possibly getting a handout in the, in the appropes bill, you know, I just, I just don't know what the, what the end result of all of this is. Yeah. And like you said, the congressional level of interest moving forward seems to be stagnant. It's like, listen, there's a lot of emotion that goes into this. Obviously we've seen some on behalf of the 45th president over the course of the weekend, he did have some energized tweets come out. Uh, you kind of got to read between the lines and like, listen to the way he talks. When you read these tweets, you're going to take it as literal to which, you know, they might not make the most sense. But if you, if you know Donald Trump and you see the way that the, that the things came out on true social, you would understand that, you know, he's just kind of given the narrative like he does on the campaign trail. And, uh, we all know that legally there's no constitutional or legal avenue to have another election or insert anybody as president or pause the Constitution. But the fact of the matter is this does look like it, probably not illegal when, when you break it down to the black and white, but it's extremely highly unethical and moving forward, something that's going to have to be watched at from more levels than just commentators and, and people that worked in the former administration because it's probably going on in larger contexts and probably across other media platforms as well. Yeah, to me, the question is what normal people think about it. And so not to, you know, because my instinct is always, you know, there's no practical results. So I kind of, you know, black pill on some of these things. But, you know, a lot, a lot of people are hearing about this story now that that thought it was one way and now they're hearing about it and they know now that it's the other way. I mean, the same thing happened with the Russia hoax where the narrative was Trump collusion. And then now I think more people, more and more people see that the narrative was it actually was you know, the FBI and the Hillary campaign and others inventing that story. So I think this is another, this is happening time and again, where the narrative gets out there in the public mind, you know, Republicans bad did something bad. And then, you know, eventually when the facts get out, it's, it's this giant, you know, coordination between the most powerful actors in media and government. Um, And I'm just kind of curious what, you know, ordinary voters think of that. I think if there's any positive to come out of it, it is, it's that, you know, what ordinary swing voters in different places might, might see and think. Yeah, no, that's an excellent point there. And, and like, we like to remind our audience as well. A lot of people were like crowning Elon Musk, the king of transparency and free speech ever since, you know, stuff like this came out. But then again, you did mention Russiagate and, and we still have people like, James or Jim Baker, as he's known on Twitter now, who, who sits as their top attorney there uh, for the social media application. And, and we all like to let our listenership remind them that, you know, he sat as general counsel for James Coney throughout the Russiagate investigation before he was fired for lying to Congress and, and the investigative team there. So definitely kind of interesting to see some of the players who are still involved, even though some of the stuff is coming out to the extent of how much or how deep it goes. We may never know because of people who still work at Twitter. Yeah. To me, to me, it's, it's, it's amazing. I mean, if you're the general counsel of the FBI, if you're a general counsel anywhere, you know, um, you know, the number, you know, there are a lot of things that you can say, Oh, you know, I had reasonable views one way or another, but lying to Congress, I think is, you know, he did that with full knowledge, you know, and all of that. So, uh, you know, that was not a mistake. That was not a flub. He's not a dumb lawyer. And, and we'll see if there are consequences for it. I, I kind of, I continue to doubt, but, uh, you know, and, and a lot of the part of the problem is, is this connects back to elections. And I mean, Trump continues to talk about 2020, you know, he must think there's value, um, you know, or he's compelled to do it, you know, whatever it is. But the leadership, the House leadership, the Senate leadership, people don't, they're thinking, oh, you know, if we run on X, Y, and Z, we'll do really well. It's like, well, look where that got you in 2022. So, so uh, I don't know how the electoral politics plays with this. And I think the problem is, is that always leads the legal charge. 
Yeah, no, you're certainly correct. And we also hope that that narrative shifts a little bit more to, you know, campaign driven things, policies and and past practices, the achievements of the first Trump administration and not stick on the elections, because like we already talked about right now, constitutionally, legally, there's no other path other than to win in 2024. And I did ask several attorneys over the course of the weekend when I saw some of this narrative coming out from all parties involved, like, what do you guys think? And they're like, absolutely not. We need to mission first, mission forward. So you did mention House leadership. We are going to have a change after the 3rd of January. Uh, some of the things that are really up for debate right now are, are two of the seats in, in the Republican, uh, well, apparatus. Got myself right there. Mm. Uh, Kevin McCarthy is uh, whipping right now for a couple votes to ensure that he's Speaker of the House. I want to know what you think about that. And then the four-way race that's shaping up for GOP chair coming forward. It looks like uh, Rana, Harmeet Dillon, Lee Zeldin, Mike Lindell have all thrown their hats in the ring to be the Republican chair moving forward. What do you think on both races? Well, on the House one, I think the interesting question is, you know, McCarthy doesn't need to be there the whole time. And I think Trump is comfortable with him. And I think, you know, you've seen endorsements by people like MTG, mm-hmm. you know, of of McCarthy. So the base doesn't like him. I don't think Trump probably likes him, but he sees him as someone he can work with. And so my, my question is, you know, as the campaign season gets going, if McCarthy's the speaker, you know, when does he do such a giant screw up that they revisit that the, the question of their leadership? Because they could, you know, they could revisit that question. So. You know, even if he's, I guess what I'm saying is I think he'll be on a short leash. He's got a very tiny caucus. It's going to be kind of weird to, to manage and uh, and we'll see how he does. So I'm not negative on him, him being speaker because I think he'll have to be a lot more savvy and give a lot more away. And then, and then you know, when, when there's a chance to throw him overboard, I think that may, that might occur. Um, on the RNC chair thing, you know, again, it's another Trump person, Rana, who probably I would assume made a lot of you know, promises to Trump because I know she was the Trump sort of candidate. Uh, um, but again, the base doesn't really like her. She hasn't done, done terribly much from what I've seen. You know, I, I was there in 2020 in Wisconsin. I was there again in 2022. Um, we're seeing them kind of wet the bed, I think, in Georgia today. So, you know, not terribly happy with her, but, you know, she made some promises I don't think she might have had to deliver on because of the timeline. So now is as good a time as any to to get someone new. Uh, I think Zeldin was the, I don't think Lindell was seriously running. I could be wrong, but I think that was more of a put pressure on Rana thing. Lee Zeldin seemed like the big candidate, but I know Harmeet well, I think she's great. And, um, you know, we'll just see how that goes. I definitely think there's time for, for new blood. They need to be, there's so much that they could correct on the election stuff and on, you know, just general, you know, coordination with at the state level to make sure that people have the tools they need and they're all rowing in the same direction. Cause 2016 was, was chance. And I remember going into 2020, I was in the white house. I took some time off to go to Wisconsin. You know, I later helped run as the chief for Gable in that investigation. I thought in 2020, the one thing we had that we didn't in 2016, I thought we've got nothing going for us. The media is awful. They know Trump is a threat, but we at least have the party will know that he can win and they'll open up the coffers and, 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 and go for him. But they didn't in 2020. I then thought 2022, they've got all this time to fix it. They didn't fix terribly much. So I think there's time now to fix it, and uh, I just hope that they do. Yeah, no, I agree with you. You know, one of the biggest components to Ronald McDaniel's rise to the RNC chair comes off of 
one of the things we've always referred to as kind of a statistical anomaly, and that was her being the GOP chair of Michigan when Donald Trump won in 2016. Places like Pennsylvania and Michigan are two of the examples we like to point out. Although Donald Trump, we don't take anything away from those victories that he had in 2016 there. Historically, they always kind of vote purple, and unless things are really bad, uh, you know, they're not really going to come out overwhelmingly for Republicans to show victories like Donald Trump had there in, in 2016. And Rana had the wave to ride into the RNC chair. She kind of played the game going into the, you know, election there with Donald Trump when he won. And then, but ever since we, we've had, you know, not sweeping majorities wins in, in the House of Representatives, even though we do reference back also historically, I think this is only going to be the fifth time Republicans have held power in the House in the last hundred years. So it's not like it's something that's completely her fault. But when you look at the how the game has changed, early voting, mail-in voting, social media, uh, you know, just being on the Internet and stuff like that and and things of that nature, the Republican Party has been extremely reluctant to change. And um, part of seeing like a, a fresh dynamic moving into the next presidential cycle, which are some of those things we're going to have to harness. Uh, we, we have people who are extremely close to Donald Trump on a regular basis on this show on a regular basis, and they're all saying the same things. So we know that that message is, is resonating down at Mar-a-Lago. Who is going to be the person to do it? Uh, I, I think we've already seen Lee Zeldin do it to context in New York, but can he do that nationally? We've seen people like Scott Pressler want to get in, involved, not in like a chairmanship, but part of like the ground game. So it's going to be interesting to see if she does wind up being the RNC chair again, she will have the longest tenure I think ever. And uh, she's really going to have to have her feet to the fire if she wants her job after the next election cycle. Yeah. And I don't know. Look, I mean, I'm not involved with this terribly much. I, I can't speak with it, you know, very clearly, but I don't know. I don't know what her signature accomplishment has been. Um, I just don't know. And I think, you know, with someone with that kind of a tenure already, you'd have one or two things would be like, we fix this and we fix this. And I, you know, they, during her tenure, I think the consent decree was lifted. I mean, they've done some election integrity stuff. I, you know, but I'm not in the back rooms. I don't know specifically, you know, what's been hashed out or what fires they've put out. Um, but I'd be very, you know, if I were involved as, you know, a voter, as a committee person or, or a donor, I'd be, I'd be asking, okay, what have you concretely accomplished and what do you hope to accomplish in the next, you know, year and a half um, of any candidate? Yeah, because I think moving forward, that's going to be the biggest question. Like I said, I think her biggest accomplishment was being Michigan GOP chair when Donald Trump won the state in 2016. And after that, she hasn't really done anything besides minor victories moving forward. Uh, yeah. Andrew, what are some of the things you're working on now? There has to be some some good stuff you're working on besides going to holiday parties at this point of the year. Oh, yeah, for sure. <laughs> well, a couple of things. I mean, you know, I, I maintain my, you know, regulatory and other clients. I have some involvement with some of these state-level subpoenas that are flying around for – uh, related to the election investigations. Um, my uh, full-time day job, I'm the general counsel at an org called Personnel Policy Operations. That's www.personnelpolicyorganization.org, which is a number of our, you know, former PPO White House staff. And we're handling, um, I guess I can just say it, we're handling some of the fundraising um, uh, for, for legal defense for what I call the white collar, um, you know, advisors and, and, and officials that have been targeted by the J6 committee and elsewhere hmm. and bar complaints. That's one thing we do. And then we do a lot of programming. We just had a, uh, an event a couple of weeks ago on, you know, how to, how to respond to, to, to cancellation. And that was a panel with myself and, and Jeff Clark and, uh, or sorry, myself, John Eastman and, uh, Molly Hemingway. Nice. And then last week we co-sponsored a, a fundraiser, um, with Patriot Freedom Project, which I think was televised, Trump sent in a, a nice a video, which was for the for the J six families, and that was a great 
event as well. And then, of course, I mean, one of the major things we do behind the scenes is staffing and helping these orgs, AFPI, Heritage, other other orgs on, you know, if, if things do go well in 2024 or the future for any conservative future executive branch, like what sorts of things need to be done. So in 2016, you know, it was a lot of, I still have all these docs, the, you know, the Romney docs, and, and we were kind of flat footed in 2016 on the personnel front. I think we're going to be much more ready. I think there's, there are many people who are seeing personnel, which is kind of my forte as a lawyer, as the former acting GC at OPM and, and in the White House. Um, people kind of see that this is an important thing to be doing. So, you know, I'm writing some things for Heritage, be doing some training for them. We're working with AFPI as well um, and other orgs and just kind of helping the movement make sure that, you know, we're ready to go before day one and that, you know, we get strong people that are not, you know, your typical button-down Bush type people. No more of those, please. We don't mm. like those. And and just circling back to one of the things you said, that January 6th event uh, for the J6 Freedom Project, Cynthia Hughes is a great friend of our show. She's been on the show numerous times. She is going to come back on the show in December to talk about uh, giving and donating to the J6 families during this difficult time of the year for them, consequently, which it's become. And uh, it's awesome to see you working in all those different facets and, and avenues for, obviously, the America First movement and all the things you're doing uh, moving forward. We'd be looking to have you back on the show again at some point in the new year. Yeah, that'd be great. That'd be great. We'll see, you know, where I end up in the long run. I'm happy where I am now. Things are going well. We're, I think some of the stuff is trickling down, but I think as Eastman said at our event not long ago, you know, even if we win the house December, they're going to be like caged bears. And so I think we're seeing some of these people like caged bears right now. So I'm just, I hope we can get it. Look, 2022, I think was a terrible year for many people. Sure. I, so looking forward to the new year and the new Congress, and I have high hopes for it. Not maybe not high expectations, but high hopes. No, and, and we have uh, great expectations as well, Andrew. If our listenership's not already following you on social media. What's the best place to do that? We'll live link that in the show description today. Sure, I'm on I'm on Twitter uh, at a r k l o s t e r, and again, our C three our nonprofit is uh, PPO Personnel policyorganization.org um, and we are helping with a lot of the legal defense bills and other other things uh, programmatic staffing issues uh, for the future so we're just trying to kind of grind and do the do the difficult operational work behind the scenes that you know may not be as sexy but needs to get done oh it has become uh, quite the task and you guys are doing the Lord's work out there. We appreciate everything you've been doing and, and appreciate more when you take time out of your busy schedule to come on the show. Andrew Closter, thanks for coming on Steak for Breakfast. Thanks so much for having me. Not a bad way to kick off the week. What do you think, Noah? Outstanding. And although Antoinette was a little bit under the weather, I can only assume that she'll be back for Friday's edition of the show. But if you enjoyed this one and like to hear the other 192 editions of the Steak for Breakfast podcast, you could find us across every downloadable podcasting platform we're on apple Podcasts, spotify podbean pod at google podcast fm player iHeartRadio, the patriot podcast network on the roku app we're even on frank speech subscribe to the show and rate it leave a review and don't forget to download this and like follow and share steak for breakfast content show creds go to all of our amazing guests today former chief of staff to the dod and special assistant to president trump mr cash patel tech policy writer at the Heritage Foundation, Jake Denton, quickly becoming one of our favorite guests, and former Trump White House attorney, Andrew Kloster. Very great having them all on today. Friends, don't forget to go out and throw some of your hard-earned cash at our partners, because when that happens, 
You help make small American businesses great again, namely my pillow. Listen, Christmas is coming, and I couldn't think of anything you'd rather stuff that stocking with than a little bit of Mike Lindell. Not weird? Nope. If you're more of a morning person, they've got my coffee, so you could sip Mike Lindell's deliciousness. <laughs> got him. MyPillow.com forward slash steak for anything sleep related. MyStore.com forward slash steak for anything coffee related. Or you can talk to a qualified pillow representative. 1-800-658-8045. The top tier of ear gear and the best headphones that I've ever owned could be only found at Odyssey. Make the investment. If you're doing something in the studio, it makes the world of difference. Odyssey.com is the website. You can find them on Facebook and Instagram as well. My Patriot Cigars. Remember, if you're entering promo code stake there, you're getting 15% off your total order. Every order over $100, free shipping, and a $10 e-gift card comes with every purchase. MyPatriotCigars.com is the website there. Premium smoke for freedom-loving patriots. Stay ready, gear holsters. What do you got this week? No, anything good? Microprocessors. There you go. If you want a picture of one of those, they'll put it on a concealed carry Kydex holster and they'll get the orders out faster than ever before. Stay ready. Gear.com is the website there. You can find them on Facebook and Instagram. Man rubs. Making some man rubs chicken tonight. Nice. With carrots and potatoes. Going to do a little bit of uh, chicken roast. I would fuck up some potatoes right now. I got the uh, baby reds. Yep. Going to half them. So it should be good. Manrubs.com is the website. Find them on Facebook and Instagram. Mike down at West Coast Survival Arms is a pretty simple equation for all your gun-related needs. Firearms, parts, accessories, and ammo. His newly redesigned, easy-to-use website is westcoastsurvivalarms.com. You can talk to him on Facebook Messenger or via the telephone, 619-870-6992. Mediocre Medic for all our first responders. You're going to like their... Everything they've got in their store, you're going to love their Instagram a little bit more. Mediocremanic.com is the website there. And last but certainly not least, the Christmas Story version 2 Zero Fucks Duck is set to drop this Sunday. Mm. Still don't know? Check out dumpbox.us. You can find them on Instagram. Find them on Facebook. Upcoming shows. We'll be back on Friday. Congressman-elect from Ohio, great friend of the show, Max Miller, will be here. Trump attorney and the current spokeswoman for MAGA Inc., Alina Habba, will be here as well. And the Daily Caller's G.S. Quay will all be joining us. We'll bring it back on Tuesday the 13th. Sarah Weaver of the Daily Caller. Nationally syndicated Newsweek opinion writer Josh Hammer will be here. And Real America's Voice Heather Mullins will be circling back with us as well. J.W. Gibbons of the Daily Caller and best-selling author Christina Bob will be joining us on the 16th of December. Boris Epstein will be in, coming in hot from wherever he's at on the 20th. In addition to him, I, I, I haven't told no yet. I'm about to surprise him for the first time. Dr. Robert Malone will be here as well. Nice. Jake Denton's going to circle back on the 23rd. In addition to him, I believe we're going to have Alexis Wilkins back to do a little Christmas special with us. We'll, we'll definitely have some more guests. Still waiting to fill the 27th, but on the 30th, it's going to be our 200th episode of Steak for Breakfast. So far, we've got Cash Patel and Raheem Kassam confirmed. So at the very least, it'll be a banger. Mm-hmm. I like it. Um, friends of the week. What do we got? Always our true social Twitch streamer crew. Beastman420, Siberian Kitten. We love you guys. Thomas Bama, 13 Gen Patriot. Some call me Tim79, who wrote some nice commentary about us on True Social this week. I really appreciate it and you. Jason E. Van Gundy. Also like your commentary. And our good friend, Ghost Hammer. Some of our Twitter friends. Spoopy. Sharing everything. Will S. Gave me his phone number. Fed confirmed. And 
Matthew, the upside down man, please don't stop ever commenting because your comments always make me laugh. In addition to them, some of our memer friends, mostly peaceful memes, grand old memes, right wing savages, Hispanics for DeSantis, let's go Brenda, Edward Russell, Real Al Gorbachev, Midnight Mitch, and John Hacker LA. Guys, thanks to remember between now and Friday. Number one, do your own research. Bet you a lot of a lot of you guys listening didn't know that the former James Comey Russiagate general counsel is now the top lawyer at Twitter. Mm. Now you do. In addition to that, start a podcast. Noah? Not too bad. You're welcome. Number three, let's start talking about American greatness again. No one's pausing the Constitution. The only thing we want to talk about is American greatness. We don't talk about it enough. It's time to start again. And last but certainly not least, let's see what happens. This has been episode 193 of the Steak for Breakfast podcast, and we'll be back 194 on Friday. Max Miller, Alina Habba, G.S. Quay, the very least. On behalf of the pod team, Antoinette, who had a sick call, I'm Roan. Noah? Later. Thanks for listening, and take care. Bring it in here, please. Let's go ahead and bring it in. Come on in. Our target is a major transaction of microprocessors. Yes, those. I don't know what they are. You don't know what they are. Who gives a fuck? Cash. Lots of cash are going to change hands inside a building that we have under AV surveillance close by. I know this off-site location is not the best, but we've had very little time to set up. Do you guys know anything about this? Staff Sergeant Sullivan's team will ID the bad guys and listen in on the phones. Our unit will not take action. I repeat, not take action until a man that Captain Queenan has inside their operation verifies the transaction. Are we clear? Anybody? Any questions? No? This is who we're after. We've been after this cocksucker for a long time, and tonight we are going to get him.